It's July, which means it's college football preview season. Unfortunately, your favorite college football magazine is already out of date. To keep up with transfers, injuries, and position battles this summer, consider becoming a CFB Winning Edge Tier 2 Patreon supporter. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive access to our 2021 FBS team profiles, which includes over 10,000 individual player ratings, daily updated depth charts, the most in-depth returning production database on the market, projected point spreads for every game all season, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to learn more and to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter, at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. You can follow him on the Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter. And today, we continue our preview series, and we are going over the Sun Belt. So, a uh, little fewer teams. So I, I think we're going to avoid the three-hour marker again on this one. So no promises. Don't, don't catch I, your chickens before they hatch. There, so. I, haven't been, uh, I haven't been given any promises by Nick this week. I, I know that. But uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, and uh, in, in he's showing me his uh, list of notes. It's a yellow legal pad that's filled out, I mean, maybe 20 pages deep, guys. So I may have spoken too soon. But there's a lot of good teams in this conference. Um, We've got questions on a bunch of them, so let's just dive right in here. And we're going to start with App State, who you know we have ranked 29 overall, and uh, is going to be our highest ranked. We you know we're putting our best foot forward here with App State. And last year, uh, their four-year title run ended with a close loss to Coastal, and they also lost to Louisiana, who were of course co-champions of the Sun Belt last year. Uh, they beat North Texas 56 to 28 in the uh, their bowl game, and they finished nine and three. But uh, before we start here, we have a question from Stephen, and it, it it applies to a bunch of teams. But because we're doing the Sun Belt, and because they do have a uh, transfer quarterback, Stephen asks which transfer QBs will make which transfer QB will make the biggest impact this year. And I think Chase Bryce has to be on the short list, right, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I, you you said it. We're starting with a bang pretty much with Appalachian State being our highest ranked team. And that will probably surprise a lot of people given, you know, Coastal Carolina undefeated through the regular season last year, spent some time, you know, uh, knocking on the door of the top 10 in the national rankings. Louisiana, 10 wins, just as good in, in almost every uh, sense. And a lot of people expect – those two teams to repeat what they did last year, make a push for double digit wins, uh, get back to the conference championship game that unfortunately uh, they weren't able to play against one another last year, but app state for, uh, you know, a a few different reasons uh, is our highest ranked team. And for that projection, I think to come true, Steven's question you know, the answer kind of has to be 
Chase Bryce. And, and I don't know necessarily that we should expect um, that Chase Bryce would have the biggest, you know, the biggest positive impact among transfer quarterbacks. But for App State, I think to uh, survive, you know, uh, a, a a pretty difficult Sun Belt. We're talking about the Sun Belt third now. You know, for years and years, some, the Sun Belt was our lowest rated conference. Was most people's, you know, kind of the the last of the list, the last of the end of the magazine, all that good stuff. But after last year, especially, but I think it's improved a lot over recent years. You know, the Sun Belt is getting better and better, and and uh, so now Appalachian State obviously has some real competition in the league and they're going to have to beat some really good teams to get back on top. But if Chase Bryce, who, you know, had a, a really dreadful year at Duke last season, uh, if he comes in and, you know, will certainly have to play better. He was responsible for what 22 turnovers himself in 11 games last year at Duke, you know, has to figure that out. It's going to have to, um, Take over for a long time starter in Zach Thomas. Guy won a lot of games, was an all conference type player for a long time at Appalachian State. You know, th- he's going to have to solidify that position, going to have to make it so it's not a major drop off. And, you know, Chase Bryce is a different quarterback. He's not going to be as much of a running threat. Uh, opposing defenses aren't going to have to worry as much opposing defensive coordinators, all that, you know, aren't going to have to worry about him running quite as much, going to force him to beat them with his arm, which, you know, last year made a ton of mistakes through double digit interceptions, lost a ton of fumbles, you know, sack fumbles were uh, a part of that. So, you know, he's, he's going to have to to step up and, and really play much better uh, to keep Appalachian State, you know, toward the top of the Sun Belt, especially, but you know, certainly, if they're going to make it, you know, to be the the best team in the league. But uh, going back to the the question itself, and I'm sure we'll hit on this, uh, or, or not the question itself, but sort of why App State is is our number one uh, ranked team. But going back to the the original thought, how you know App State is our our highest ranked Sun Belt team, and probably a little bit of a surprise to to some people. Uh, a big reason why is Appalachian State's been very, very consistent throughout basically the entire history of CFB Winning Edge. Looking at their five-year weighted average team performance, uh, they're tenth in the country. So when we look, you know, at, at advanced stats uh, beyond the you know traditional box score stats to put a grade on how well a team is playing on the field, not looking at talent ratings, not looking at, at really anything else, but just, you know, how are, are they actually functioning on the field? App State is, has been the 10th best team in college football uh, over the last five years in a weighted scenario where the most recent years, you know, count a little bit more than, than the year after. Over the last three years, they also ranked 10th in the country. So, you know, they, they took a little bit of a step back last season, but they were still a top 20 team in team performance, ranked 18th overall, uh, had a uh, an offense that ranked 21st, had a defense that ranked 13th. They were number three uh, in passing defense team performance. They were number two in rushing offense team performance. So they've they've had you know some elite numbers uh, throughout the last several years. And the way we do our preseason projections, 
you know, we, we don't just count team performance from last season. Uh, there have been studies in, in the past that show that you need to look at a little bit wider window of time to, to really help uh, your projections for the upcoming season. It just, you know, it, it just kind of is what it is. Every once in a while you get one season that throws things off and things kind of go a little bit back to normal. Well, we put a little bit heavier weight on those uh, weighted team performance averages. So, you know, there's, there's uh, by fairly narrow margins, but uh, that explains specifically why they're ahead of coastal Carolina. Uh, but it also impacts, you know, Louisiana a little bit too, but beyond that Appalachian state is just a, a solid team quarterback. Really the only major question that I have, they've got an all conference running back in Cameron Peoples. Last time we saw him went for over what, 300 rushing yards, five touchdowns in the bowl game. North Texas, of course, terrible defense as, as we discussed, but I expect that he'll have a, a really solid year. And if not, they've got three other guys who could step in and, and be a starting running back in Dietrich Harrington, uh, Nate Noel, and, and then they got a transfer from Notre Dame and Jameer Smith. The receiving core, Thomas Hennigan was the, the highest rated receiver they've got. Uh, also, you know, a multi-multi-year starter. He's a super senior. They also have a super senior in Malik Williams. Jalen Virgil was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list this time last year. And then they add Corey Sutton back who missed last season. He was injured but also opted out. And, you know, he probably is the best, most talented receiver they've got. They only bring back two returning starters on the offensive line, but both of them are really highly rated all-conference type players. Bear Hunter, who's going to be the starting center this year, moving over from right guard, is a 100-rated player, max-rated player, and he you know, will be back a big part of a unit that ranked 10th in our O-line performance ratings last season. Defensively, they've got another 100-rated player on the uh, defensive line, Demetrius Taylor, one of the top pass rushers, really in college football, certainly at the G5 level. Um, they have you know, three returning starters, all three up front, three returning starters at linebacker, including a 90-plus rated linebacker, DeMarco Jackson, all-conference player. They're experienced in the secondary, too, not quite as much as the, the front seven. Uh, they do lose uh, you know, a, a big impact player in corner Shamar Jean Charles who went in the fifth round to, to Green Bay. But the, again, this time last year, Sean Jolly, all-conference player, was considered the better of the two and, and a potential All-American candidate. Didn't have as good a year last season, but is certainly capable of doing that. So App State is, is just solid throughout. And if Chase Bryce can, you know, take better care of the football, even if he, you know, I said that he's going to have to probably do something to, to help App State beat uh, a Coastal Carolina and a Louisiana in the long term. But the more I think about it, as solid as they are everywhere else, if he just doesn't hurt them, then I think they're going to be right there in the mix. I, I think we can expect uh, them to certainly challenge for over the eight and a half DraftKings win total. We have them favored actually in 11 games. Our stats only model has them favored in every regular season game, which is a little bit of a surprise to me because they play Miami in week two. Uh, so that that particular model right now does not include home field advantage. But still, I mean, that's, you know, little little bit of a, a interesting thing that popped off. Uh, the page when I was was making notes favored in, in all regular season games and even in the talent only model, you know, have have a talent edge in, in nine games. So all three of those are over the eight and a half. 
I, I, I know that the competition is tough. The schedule is, is not easy getting, getting more difficult every year, but they're going to be in the mix. And, and right now our numbers think App State's the, the team to beat. Yeah, Xavier, it looks like, you know, we could easily have return to glory for App State, you know, yeah. and get back on that horse. Because like Nick said, they're favored in all but one of these games. You know, Miami, the only game they're not favored in uh, on this schedule. So uh, it looks fairly favorable, even though I would say that, you know, look, we had our Mac schedule and the, the teams at the top of the Mac, it was like, all right, they'll lose their non-conference games, and then it doesn't look like they're going to lose anything else. You know, <laughs> that's not the case in the Sun Belt. Like Nick said, you know, the, the profile of this conference is moving up. So there are some winnable games for other teams against App State, but they definitely look like the safest play here. Yeah, I, you know, you look at your schedule, and I've, I, obviously outside of the Miami game, you really think they run the table in their first four games. Uh, East Carolina, Elon, Marshall being the other uh, three non-conference matchups that they have. And you think maybe outside of Marshall, that, that'll give them a really good test coming into the year. Marshall typically with a pretty decent defense year in and year out. We talked about them before. We think they might be an improved team on what they were last year. Uh, but for me, their season is made up pretty much before they get out of the month of October. You know, they go to Georgia State, to Louisiana, um, and then versus Coastal Carolina. That's their season right there. You know, if, if they're going to be the best team in this conference, they're going to have to do it while, win while winning on the road at some very stingy places uh, like at Georgia State. But also they're going to have to beat the two best teams in the conference that we, you know, in Coastal Carolina and Louisiana back-to-back -back weeks. That's tough. Back-to-back -to -back and midweek. Yeah. It, it's mm – -hmm. Two it's games, not, eight days. It's not ideal. So, yeah, <laughs> not at all. And, 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 you know, two games in eight days going from Louisiana, then to Coastal Carolina in that time frame. Uh, both of those games are on ESPN2. You're going to get both of these games nationally televised. That's going to be also, you know, uh, an aspect to it. So that's going to be really tough. Their season, their season really boils down there. But, you know, the thing about, you know, Appalachian State, especially about the Sun Belt, that has gotten just so much more difficult is some of the games – down the stretch, you know, we talk about Arkansas State on the road. That's a, a sting. That's a, that's a sleeper trap game. Georgia Southern at, Southern at the end of the year is always a trap game. Playing a team like Georgia Southern year in and year out, you learn that Georgia Southern is one of those teams that every year Georgia Southern has an upset in them. Just they do. That's just what they do. They beat a team that's in the top three of the conference and they ruin it for somebody. Um, and for you to finish their season with them, you know, with the emotions of like a senior night. Uh, and everything that that just really adds more fuel to the fire for a team like Georgia Southern that always is coming in with that spoiler kind of attitude. Uh, that 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 that's another game that I look at and I go, well, if at does get through the, the the test, you know, the gauntlet of you know three games in nineteen days essentially uh, with Georgia State, Louisiana, and Coastal, that's another game for me. That's a trap game. It's, it's playing Georgia Southern at the end of the year uh, at home. Nick hit it right in the head. App State has been a steady Eddie. Um, in the conference for a very long time, and it results in, uh, or excuse me, it results in having really good recruiting classes. 75th nationally this past year, uh, they finished second uh, in the Sun Belt. Brought in 12, 22 enrollees, seven transfers, which once again, the rich get richer. We talked about this in last week, week's episode. Um, you know, it's always funny to me that I think the teams that are at the top of the of these conferences always dig into the transfer portal. Uh, pretty. Uh, you know, a lot or they did this past year. Um, and, you know, this team goes as far as Chase Bryce does. You know, we, Nick hit it on the head. Chase Bryce has a lot more to prove than I think people really realize. This is a kid who came in with, you know, which was a highly touted. I mean, this was supposed to be the guy to replace 
Lawrence. Daniel Jones. Oh, Daniel, well, you know, oh, he, Lawrence, he, yeah. he started at Clemson. You know, he was yeah, supposed I to forgot. come in. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, he was supposed to come in and replace Lawrence and be, you know, be, be DJ, essentially, uh, and, and take that job once it was over. You know, it was the two Georgia kids that ended up going to Clemson with him playing at Grayson in high school. And so, you know, a lot of people thought that he was talented enough to do it. Then at Duke, you know, obviously, you know, he goes to the quote unquote quarterback whisperer. You know, that's supposed to revitalize his career. That doesn't pan out. And so it's really like this is it. This is last strong material because App State is one of those organizations, one of those schools that's just pretty consistent and really it takes for a poor year from a quarterback or an up and down season from your quarterback position for them to have a down season, you know, because Nick hit it right on the head everywhere else. They're, they're either, you know, conference, uh, preseason all conference or close to being preseason all conference, you know? So it really does fall on the quarterback, whether or not App State's able to reach the heights in which we know they can. You know, this is a team that year for about three years, it seemed either had a win over a P5 or lost by like three or four points to a P5. So App State's really one of those teams that if you go there and you don't succeed, that's it, especially with the the, the laundry list of schools Chase Bryce has already been to. Uh, all right. Uh, that I mean, it, they're, they're definitely an interesting team, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about this next team, even though they rank way, way lower uh, at 90 for us, Arkansas State. And last year, uh, a five-game losing streak snapped their nine-year run of winning records. Uh, they did beat ULM to finish four and seven, two and six in the conference. And Blake Anderson uh, did go out on a high note. Their DK total is four and a half as far as wins go. We have them at six and six. This seems like an automatic bet, Nick. And uh, we have a favorite in five, town edges in seven. And we have a question from our guy, Justin. He says, how crazy good can the Arkansas State offense be this year? Lane Hatcher isn't getting the love he deserves. And he has some good wide receivers. And, I mean, you want to talk about a team that hit the transfer portal hard. Xavier, uh, Arkansas State crushed it. So lots of transfers coming in. So a lot to discuss with uh, Arkansas State, Nick. Yeah, they're, they're certainly an intriguing team because I think they were a little bit better than their record showed last year. Uh, you know, two and six record in the conference was uh, a, certainly a disappointment. Snapped what? Uh, nine, you said nine years of winning records. Um, they were not necessarily super unlucky. I mean, they, they, uh, you know, usually when I say a, a, a team has got a, a better or seemed a little bit better than their record might indicate, the only loss that they suffered where they had, you know, over a, a 55% chance of, of winning was Texas State. They had a, a multi-score uh, lead in the fourth quarter, just caught a, a replay of that earlier this week. But, you know, other than that, they lost the games that they were supposed to, so you know, it might be a little bit of a strange statement, but they beat Kansas State. They had some of the better players in the conference. I mean, Jay Adams was in, an absolutely incredible receiver for the first, what, 10 weeks of the year before he unfortunately had an injury. Uh, they they had two really solid quarterbacks in Lane Hatcher and uh, Bonner, who who's now transferred out to uh, Utah State, as you know, just alluded to, and then another guy who ends up following Blake Anderson to Utah State after the season was Justin Rice, the linebacker, who was one of the most productive linebackers in, in all of college football. So there's you know uh, 
reason to think that they probably underachieved because the the record, of course, got a little bit worse. Uh, some of the better players in the conference just didn't quite translate to wins. But, you know, I, I think that there is certainly plenty for the new coaching staff, Butch Jones, to, to build around. And, and a lot of it does have to do with Lane Hatcher. I agree with Justin that, that he's not really getting the love he deserves. And I think the only real reason why is – Again, you mentioned all the transfers. Well, they brought in a former Power Five starting quarterback in James Blackman from from Florida State. And I just checked earlier today. Blackman is not on the official roster yet, so he he hasn't been on campus to my knowledge. You know, didn't wasn't part of spring practice or anything like that. So there's there's a real chance that that he's not necessarily a factor in the actual QB race. Uh, but if he were there, there's the the concern, I guess, that Hatcher might not have the job 100% again. But, you know, right now, you would expect, yes, if, if you know, Hatcher's there, has been a, a, you know, was a starter in 2019 when Bonner went down, uh, was a co you know, didn't actually start last year, but rotated every single series, which probably wasn't great for his overall development, but, you know, he played pretty well. And uh, yeah, he's, he's got a lot to work with. People are really excited about Corey Rucker, who had like a 300 yard receiving game against ULM last year. Uh, I know uh, Justin's a, a CFF guy and, and uh, Corey Rucker is going really, really high in, in a lot of the CFF uh, drafts that, that I've been a part of this summer. Jeff Foreman is also, you know, had, had some real breakout moments last season. Dahu Green, unfortunately, has been consistently injured, but is a big target similar you know, similarly built to Jay Adams has certainly flashed uh, as a you know red zone type guy, a, a guy who can go up and get it. And then they brought in a transfer from TCU, Travalence Hunt, who uh, sounds like is is poised to get a, a starting job coming out of spring practice. We don't currently have him listed as a starter in our depth charts, but he very well could be there by the time the season starts. So a lot to work with, obviously, with Hatcher. Uh, the, though the, the head coach has changed, Blake Anderson, uh, Butch Jones did retain the play caller. So the offense will, you know, change a little bit, but shouldn't, shouldn't be a, uh, what we normally see when a new staff comes in, a, a new head coach who, who kind of, you know, wants to do everything their way. There will be some continuity, at least with the play caller, I'm sure with some of the terminology. So uh, Hatcher certainly would, would have a leg up, even, you know, if, if Blackman were on campus and, and uh, participating in, in everything that's going on, Hatcher still probably has a, a leg up, you know, not, not what we would normally see with a, a new head coach, but because the offensive coordinator is there. The running game, certainly an issue. Last year they ranked – uh, 110th in our rushing offense team performance rankings. They were 10th offense or as, in passing offense. So a top 50 offense on the whole, but they were they could not run the ball consistently. And you know they they're going to have to have somebody step up. Marcel Murray was injured for most of that. He's been a, a you know all conference 
caliber player early in his career, but has been slowed down a little bit lately. Lincoln Perry has, uh, you know, really flashed at times last year, but he suffered an injury late in the season. They brought in two transfers, one from Yale, Alan Lamar, and one from Iowa State, who's got some people excited, Johnny Lang. So they've got guys available. They've got four returning starters on the offensive line, plus uh, a, a transfer in Robert Holmes who could sneak into that starting lineup. So they, they, you know, should at least have a, a, a decent offensive line. They're going to have somebody step up to be able to, to run the football. I would expect that this could be, you know, one of the, the better offenses again in, in the Sun Belt. And certainly I think if Lane Hatcher can solidify his spot as the full-time starter, that would only help. Uh, the real concern is, is defense. Not only were they 105th in our defensive team performance rankings last year, including dead last in, in passing defense, uh, they lost, as I mentioned, Justin Rice, who's arguably their best player. Their second best player, Forrest Merrill, uh, they lost as well. An undrafted free agent uh, ended up with the, the Chargers. So, you know, that that's that's an issue. And they hit the transfer portal hard to try to rectify that. John Mincy, a, a former uh, Tennessee signee under Butch Jones at Kevon Bennett, the same, you know, Jones is, is been a, a well-known, well-regarded recruiter has a history with some of these guys from Tennessee. Uh, I, I, you know, his, his ties, if not getting recruits from Alabama, but, you know, probably making he and other staff members making, uh, you know, connections through the recruiting process with some guys who were at big time, you know, power five programs. They did get Scooby Carter actually corner who was at Alabama and then junior college, but uh, they're, they're going to have to change some things on defense. They're going to have to get better personnel wise because, you know, even though a fair amount of, of experience returns, especially in the secondary, they rank 78th and returning production on defense. And, and a lot of that is the secondary. It's, it's a situation where the, the players have to get better. The scheme has to get better. You think that hopefully the, the change in coaching staff will uh, help, but otherwise Lane Hatcher and, and that offense is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting when a lot of shootouts was just what they tried to do the last couple of years. And last year it, it really kind of fell apart, but you mentioned Scott. Yeah. Favorite in five games in our, our model talent edge of seven and our stats only model uh, hasn't favored in six. All of those are over the four and a half. We expect almost six wins, five and a half, six wins on average looks like a bowl team on paper. So yeah, I mean that, that lines up for this to be, uh, a team that we would say there's there's some value there to to think that this is a team that can get over that four and a half. My only real hesitation is a new head coach. It, it's you know a little tricky. App State took a, a small step back last year with a new head coach, even though there was continuity continuity him being promoted from within. You know Jones hasn't been a head coach for a few years. Hasn't even been an on field assistant for the last three years when he was at Alabama. He was a special assistant to Nick Saban, uh, which is like an administrative role last year. So, uh, you know, I, I do have my concerns. I think it could be a little bit bumpy when you rely so much on transfers on one side of the football, as another team we'll talk about a little bit later. It, it doesn't always work out perfectly. Sometimes can certainly give you a jump, can can certainly inject talent, and, and you know, maybe it all works out. But I'm just a little bit nervous. It's not going to be a, a smooth 
transition, a perfectly smooth transition, and you're already coming into a situation where you're taking over a team that had its worst season in a long time. So I think they'll bounce back. I think five wins seems safe. They certainly could get to a bowl game, but uh, I'm not excited to bet over four and a half, but I think it probably is the the right thing to do uh, according to, you know, all of our projections. And really, Xavier, when you look at this schedule, it looks like it's going to come down to these 50-50 games because they have games that they're projected to win by a decent margin, ULM, you know, their first game against uh, FCS Central Arkansas. But Memphis is kind of a coin flip, uh, and I'm talking within 10% on our projected winning percentage. Georgia Southern is in there. South Alabama's in there. Georgia State's in there. So they have four or five of these games that are right at kind of in the coin flippish range. And that's what is going to determine their entire season, right? Yeah. You know, this is a team and, and here, here's my biggest concern with their scheduling. You know, Nick hit it, you know, Nick alluded to the fact that they do have a new coach they do have a new coaching staff and, and the confidence in this coaching staff could very, could, could waver if they start off slow. Well, it doesn't really look to starting off quickly for them this year. Yes. You know, they'll, they'll handle business versus Central Arkansas. But, you know, Memphis at Washington, at Tulsa, don't like them in either one of those games as of right now. Uh, at Georgia Southern is a toss-up like you alluded to. But then they have to go to – then they have to go play Coastal and Louisiana back-to-back. They've got to they, – they've got to win. Out of those five games, they've got to at least go two and three, you know, for, for this for this season to go as they plan it to and, and get to a bowl game, which I think they have the talent to do so. But this that part of the schedule, they could, they, they could very well go one and four, zero oh and five, and just blow it up. You know, and the season could at that point just be a wash. You know, you're talking about a one and five, you know, a one and five ball club. You know, with only five games left, um, or excuse me, yeah, with only five games left. At that point, it'd be really difficult for them to go ahead and 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 run the table, especially when one of those games is still against App State um, during your homecoming. So. Which why do they keep doing this? Why do teams continue to put great teams as your homecoming game? I get it. I understand the hype and, and the fact that you want people to buy tickets. Stop doing it. Um, you know, but yeah, it very well could end up in a very rough situation if they're not able to handle business in these six games. You know, because the confidence in a new head coach and a new coaching staff will waver as wins and losses come. You know, yes, Butch Jones has a pedigree. However, his pedigree ha- is is not as a head coach, isn't amazing enough for maybe a, a, a group of kids to believe in him, in him if they have two or three losses in a row. So I, I'm hoping that they're if they're able to get to a bowl game this year, it'll be because they're able to split, you know, two and four. If they're able, able to go three and three in this stretch, even better. I just really don't know if they'll be able to. This is a stretch. I think they'll, they'll, they're more susceptible of going one and five, two and four. And from there, you really just have to go undefeated if you're going to make it uh, make a bowl game. And I don't think they're going to do that because they have to play in App State. I think this, this is a team that barely misses out. Uh, so I think they get five wins. I think five and seven is where I is where I'd have them comfortably. I think they barely miss out on a bowl game unless they're able to pull off an upset here. Uh, because out of the games in which I talk about in that six game stretch, the only ones I would really have them having an opportunity to win would be at Georgia Southern and maybe maybe Memphis at home. Because I don't like them going to Tulsa, so right. you know, I, I don't like that game. And that that that's two of three back to back to back away games in that stretch too. I don't like that either. Uh, so I would say that five and seven is what I'm comfortable with just because of the fact that their schedule 
makes it to where that six games either really makes or breaks their year, and they don't really get a break there playing a cupcake or, or a quote unquote easier team in any of that stretch whatsoever. Yeah, I mean they're gonna be they're gonna be a real fun team to watch, and uh, I mean just the CFF the CFF nerd in me always loves watching this team's <laughs> offense. So uh, putting up a bunch of points. I, I took Foreman in a draft, so here's uh, hoping that Hunt doesn't take over for him, Nick. We we got to have him hold that job down. So um, <laughs> let's go over to Coastal Carolina. Uh, we have them at uh, forty one overall, and last year I, I love how you how you wrote this, Nick. Uh, Coast Carolina ranked 117th in the three-year weighted average of team performance prior to 2020, but then ran through the regular season 11-0. Their only loss was to Liberty in the Cure Bowl. Uh, we have them projected to be great again. 9-3 and three is our record. Uh, the DK total, though, is hyped on them. They have them at 10, which looks like an automatic under bet to us, but their strength of schedule is by far the easiest in uh, the Sun Belt, uh, 125. We have them overall. The next lowest in the Sun Belt is 99. So fairly easy schedule for them. We have them favored in 11, count edges in nine. But Eddie, and I'm going to read this at how I'm taking this question from Eddie. And it's, you have App State ahead of Coastal and Louisiana. So uh, start out with that, Nick, and go from there. Yeah, and, and I, I addressed it a, a bit probably long-winded uh, in the App State uh, response, but a, a lot of it has to do with that, you know, triple digit and low triple digit uh, weighted team performance average. I mean, we are numbers certainly. And I think we, we were not alone. I believe Coastal Carolina was actually the media's pick for last maybe in, in their uh, division last year. And, and, you know, they were triple digits in just about every uh, preseason ranking I saw, but we didn't see it coming, certainly. And, and just about no one did. And, and sometimes you just don't. Sometimes a team catches fire for whatever reason. They find the perfect quarterback for their system that nobody knew his name prior to the the season. Uh, and, and it just all clicks and, and, have a, a pretty magical year. And, and that was Coastal Carolina. And because they only have that one really good year, I mean, it's the only winning record they had in FBS play. If, if, if I believe, uh, I, I believe that's correct. Uh, we're five and seven a couple of times, but yeah, they, you know, nobody's, nobody really saw this coming and the way we do our rankings, the, the number one, ingredient the first thing we do every year is you know build our individual player ratings out and it's not a perfect system by any stretch and we do rely on others to to give us kind of our our starting spot coastal carolina being a young fbs program a lot of the guys who were you know seniors upperclassmen coming into last season uh were you know two star or unrated type players from that transitional period from FCS to FBS. So they had talent ratings coming into last year, very similar to army and Navy and, and, you know, teams like that who were recruiting in the one twenties, if even, you know, up to one thirty. sometimes there are FCS teams that, that sneak past them in the, the global, you know, talent rankings. So coastal Carolina on paper coming into last year had one of the weakest 
you know, rosters in, in college football and didn't have a, a history of, of any real success. And, and so, you know, we didn't, we certainly didn't expect it, but last year, again, everything clicked. Grayson McCall was absolutely incredible. Was the perfect quarterback for the system. It's an option-based system, a lot of triple option elements to it, but he can throw to, I mean, not a, you know, not just a, uh, a runner by any stretch is an accurate passer, moves well in the pocket, has good mechanics. They can, you know, carve up teams in a variety of ways. And they did it last year with, with Grayson McCall uh, kind of running the show. Javen Hiley and uh, Isaiah Likely, their uh, star receiver and, and tight end, both of those guys went to, uh, you know, got all Sunbelt Conference uh, recognition last season, were big play guys because teams were trying to stop the run. And then McCall was able to, to stretch the field. Isaiah Likely averaged 20 yards a catch as a tight end, led all tight ends in, in college football. Uh, highly almost, you know, got to a thousand yards. So excellent, excellent uh, receivers, those two in particular. Uh, but then an offensive line that was very, very solid, 26 in our O-line performance rankings last year. Willie uh, Lampkin was a freshman All-American, was an All-Sun Belt performer. All five starters are back. Everybody that played, you know, a significant snap on the offensive line is back. Any snaps, 100% snaps, uh, according to our calculation. So all those guys are back. They've got double-digit starters back on defense, including, by my count, four guys who were either first or second team all Sun Belt last season, Jeffrey Gunter being one of those, uh, an edge rusher who's a 100-rated player by our uh, formula, C.J. Brewer, an interior defensive lineman who is uh, a 99-rated player. They've got you know Silas Kelly, over 90 at linebacker. All three starting linebackers are 86 or better in our ranking or our ratings, which is, you know, Pretty high. Uh, DeJordan Strong was a, put together an, an All-American type season and his first season as a, a JUCO transfer. He's over 90 now. So, you know, not only is is just about everybody back except for running back C.J. Marable, who's an undrafted free agent, and uh, defensive end Terry and Jackson, who was selected in the, the sixth round by the Philadelphia Eagles. Basically, everyone else is back, and then they added – some potential impact transfers. They added uh, power five, two power five transfers on offense, a tight end and a, a, a tackle. Uh, and then they added a couple of defensive linemen and, and a, a defensive back, all of which, you know, came from uh, power five programs. We're talking Georgia Tech, Oklahoma State, Vanderbilt. You know, those guys will, if not start, if not push uh, returning starters for playing time, they'll add, you know, some needed depth because even though maybe we missed on a, a couple of players, had uh, players not properly rated according to our formula based on where they were coming out of high school, you know, get, getting these guys into the mix, adding depth, strengthening not only those numbers, but of course, you know, in real life uh, football players as well. I don't think Coastal Carolina was necessarily the deepest team last year. They, they didn't suffer you know, major significant injuries, unless I'm just completely uh, forgetting. Uh, but they, you know, were able to win some close games. They were able to stay relatively healthy. They had kind of the perfect fit show up at quarterback. So it's it's completely understandable for people to think this is a top, you know, going to be a top 25 team again. This is going to be a conference champion uh, caliber team, a team that should at least get back to the conference, you know, title game. And 
I get it. It's difficult for me to make a real argument as to why they would drop off. But my sort of my gut tells me there's there's a chance and maybe a good chance that we'll see some regression. And this sort of thinking has has bit me before Coastal Carolina last year and the way our numbers are treating them this year reminds me a lot of Cincinnati just a couple of years ago where they they sort of jumped up from being a, a decent team to one of the best G5 teams in the country. Uh, our numbers that, that very next year, I think it was 2018, maybe 2019, uh, thought they'd come back a little bit, didn't, didn't project them to be a double-digit winning team again, and that they you know, took it to even another level, and, and they're still going. So is Coastal Carolina – Cincinnati for a couple of years ago, or are they maybe a, a team that we forgot that just pops up every once in a while, wins 10 games, wins a conference championship, and then kind of falls back. Uh, I'm struggling for a, San Jose State under Mike McIntyre did that earlier in, in the decade, right? Kind of slowly built uh, up to a competitive team and then boom, had a, had a, a big year that McIntyre ended up taking the Colorado job after and they kind of fell back to earth and it's taken, you know, until last year for, for them to get back in, into a, a way of winning. So there are certainly other examples and I'm sure more recent examples, but you know, those, those kind of instances maybe are forgotten for a reason. So I, I, I'm not saying coastal Carolina is going to, you know, just completely fall back. I'm not saying this is going to be a seven and five team, but it wouldn't absolutely shock me. If, if, you know, they lose a couple of games that we wouldn't have expected, they get, you know, lose a couple of those big time games, App State, Louisiana, uh, right? They actually don't play Louisiana in the regular season, but, nope. you know, App State in, in the in the regular season or, or maybe, you know, uh, slip up and, and lose a game as a 10 point favorite or, or what have you that you didn't expect. You know, those those things happen sometimes to teams. And and one of the reasons that I actually, I've actually already bet under 10, even though we're having favored in 11, the stats model has them favored in 11, talent edge, I mean, you know, they're, they're no longer triple digits in talent. They're, they're 47th overall, 30th on offense, 57th on defense, just based on all the production and experience that, that they gained most, mostly last year, but, but over the course of the last couple of years, uh, this is a talented roster now, but you know, it, it, it would not, surprise me one if they're a little bit overpriced because this was everybody's you know this was america's team last year basically right so coming into this year they're they're likely to be the hot team you know they're they're likely to be favored in you know a, a lot of games a lot of the the casual college football fans who maybe are getting into betting uh for the first time might get real excited and think oh coast carolina is so great you know yeah 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 and and maybe they get a little bit overpriced. I I think there's a chance they come back just a little bit. Winning 10 games is hard. Winning it two years in a row is really hard, especially if you don't have uh, a big, you know, uh, history behind you of doing it. I know everybody comes back. I know they were you know, awesome to watch last year. So much fun. But I, I, I just... I think they, I think they regress a little bit. And, and my last point here, I know that uh, the offense is unique. It's a, it's a triple option 
style offense, a spread option uh, style offense. And it's very difficult to prepare for, but this is now like the hot offense in coaching circles, high school coaching circles. I mean, this is what, you know, if, if you're looking at, at high school coaching message boards and things like that, people are like, Oh, I need, I need that coastal Carolina film. Oh man, I can't, I'm studying this offense. It's so great. We're going to run it next year. So many people are, are going to know this offense more intimately after last year, based on all the success they had. And that goes to opponents as well. There've been books written about, about this offense in the last year, since, since it ended last season, who go into great detail, these particular plays, you know, these 20 plays draw them up. This is what, you know, I, I've seen some things out there of, of, uh, you know, people have gone so deep as to saying, oh, when the, you know, this H back number 87 lines up here, this is a tell for, for this type of play. When they're in, uh, you know, a, a, a pistol, that's RPO 89% of the time. People know this offense now. Information is out there. So I, I think opponents are going to be able to catch up a little bit. And then maybe, you know, luck has a way, not that they were lucky last year, but things have a way of, of kind of evening out a little bit. I think Coastal Carolina is going to fall back into the eight or nine win range, be under this, even though our, our numbers don't necessarily point to that. And they do have a very, very manageable schedule. So I could be totally wrong, was wrong on Cincinnati, but this feels like a team that's going to regress just a little bit, but they'll still be fun to watch. They've got some great players and they're, they're, you know, going to be a bowl team again and, and certainly a team to beat. But I think I think eight or nine wins is, is probably most likely this year. What do you think, Xavier? Because the schedule doesn't look difficult. I mean, you know, uh, favored in 11 here or, you know, most of them. And then Buffalo is kind of close. Everything else, like we said before, uh, I know that, uh, you know, kind of like life finds a way, uh, luck finds a way as well to even out, like Nick mentioned, but schedule is uh, unbelievably favorable for them this year. Yeah, and to, to help Nick out with teams that typically pop up with 10 wins and then kind of regress, you got your Auburns, SMU did it a couple of years ago. These are teams that typically come up, have a really good year, go back down to about an eight, nine-win team at best, um, and they kind of do that every now and then maybe with a, you know, a, a golden team or something like that where everything just falls right for them. So there you go, Nick. Uh, but what I will say is, is when it comes to Coastal Carolina, and I love what Nick mentioned about. I, I just pulled out. I just pulled out my my history book mm-hmm. here. Bowling Green <laughs> won ten games in yes. fifteen. So mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> um, where they are now. So yeah, yeah if Coastal's trending that way, I I, I feel very very bad for that fan base. But um, what Coastal's he he was talking about the offense, and, and what it reminds me of a little bit, maybe not, maybe maybe to the same craze, but when Auburn decided to run uh, the wildcat and run the two back set. And everybody was like, Oh my gosh, there's this new revolutionary offense. And then the dolphins tried it in the NFL and the entire country thought it was going to be something that revolutionized football for the rest of you know eternity. And four years later, the wildcat is an, is a gimmick that you use every three games. So, you know, I, I think Nick absolutely is right about, you know, how, you know, how, 
everybody has gotten used to at least or spent the last year kind of dissecting this offense and breaking it down to its most minute level. And I think that that's going to have some effects, some negative effects on on Coastal Carolina this year. You know, also, and we we talked about it last episode, there's going to be something to the fact that they are now the hunted. Um, So, you know, I, I think that that also is something that they have not yet had to go through. You know, and when you get everybody's best game, you know, for instance, it was funny. I was I went to Georgia State versus Coastal Carolina last year. Uh, I think Coastal Carolina had just become ranked. And it was it was one of those situations where it still didn't feel real to be playing a ranked Coastal Carolina team. And I still feel that, you know, a lot of teams last year walked into a lot of games against Coastal Carolina and was like these guys. These are the, the this this team is the team that you know is quote unquote the best team in G five you know this it, it still didn't feel real and yeah. I think for you know and, and for that that's going to completely be the complete opposite this year it's going to be okay these guys are legit Grayson Call legit that offense is legit and the people are going to give them a thousand percent effort week in and week out and not just from the G five level you know you know they play Kansas which I think that they'll be they'll beat Kansas they play them at home but even P five teams are going to take them seriously understanding that a loss to them it, it, that playing them is not playing you know uh, you know a, a Citadel no offense to the Citadel just was easy to use because I'm looking <laughs> at the schedule right now uh, but you know it, it's not a cupcake it's not a walk in the park so that's going to be something that they have to you know, they get used to this year is playing that, you know, they have to go at, on the road to App State. That for me is the game that obviously I think tells me if they're able to win the Sun Belt this year. But I think they have another loss in them, whether that's at Statesboro, uh, which once again, we talk about how Georgia Southern does always come up and, and beat one of the better teams in the, in the Sun Belt. Well, it's on the road. And by this point in their season, you, you really think that Coastal Carolina would be rolling at this point. And what better way than to lose to Georgia Southern, you know, at Georgia Southern, which is where they love to play those games, you know, and that's where they typically get their upsets is when, you know, I think App State's lost last year to Georgia Southern on the road. I think two years ago, it was a similar situation with Louisiana. So Georgia Southern loves that home cooking when you come in there as a team that's possibly ranked in Coastal Carolina, maybe a ranked team at that, at, uh, at that juncture in the year. Uh, I think Nick's right. I, I think they take a little bit of a regression. Uh, ten wins is too rich for my blood. Uh, you know, double-digit wins for for a team that, in their history, has reached double-digit wins. I don't know. You know, I feel like only a handful of times, maybe. Um, well, they've only been around for like seventeen years. That's fair. Uh, they're, they're younger than me. I know that. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, had, you know. had a real good stretch from twenty thirteen to twenty sixteen as FCS. Took a, a little bit of a transition, but. Yeah, I, sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. <laughs> right, no. Um, you know, I, I just can't trust them to do it again. Now, if they do it again, kudos to them. You know, maybe in next year's team preview, we'll give them more of like a, you know, they'll have more staying power, quote unquote. Uh, but as of this year, I think they, they regress. They take a step back. Um, but even if they do so, they, they've taken advantage of it on the recruiting trail. This is a team that, that finished 100th the year before in recruiting. They finished 82nd this past year um, in 2021. They finished third in the Sun Belt, where they finished fifth the year prior. Um, currently, they sit at 53rd nat- nationally in 2022 class. I don't think that'll stay, the, stay that way, but as of right now, and they are first in the Sun Belt uh, in recruiting as of 2022 um, is concerned. You know, this is a team that Dug in the transfer portal for, for positions of need, um, all from P5 schools, Indiana, Georgia Tech, NC State, and Vanderbilt. So definitely highly touted guys or, or very talented people to add to a team that's already very talented. You know, 
And for me, this is really on Grayson McCall. Uh, I think, you know, he's going to have a huge target on his back. This is a guy last year that, like Nick said, nobody had on their radars whatsoever. And he kind of surprised the rest of the country with his, with not only his ability to throw the ball, but his athleticism uh, with his feet. You know, this year you're going to have, you know, every, every defense is going to have watched your film more so probably than any other team in their schedule, barring one or two others. They've been watching Coastal Carolina film, you know, you know, starting, you know, the end of last year. So I, I'm, I'm thinking this is an eight-win ball club. Ten is too rich for my blood. I would bet the under uh, going for Coastal Carolina. All right, let's go. Real quick. Yeah, go Real ahead. Real quick. And I know we're not necessarily trending for a, a super short, super short <laughs> show. But I, I, did, I, I did a little uh, additional research while, while Xavier was talking. Among the teams who have had uh, nine or ten wins since 2016 – uh, we've got Fresno State did it a couple of times and then dropped down to four and eight. Uh, Utah State, Old Dominion, uh, N- uh, New Mexico had a nine-win year. So I'm not saying Coastal is is that type of program, but it wouldn't be unheard of for a team to jump up, win ten games, make a run toward a conference title, and then come back down to their you know traditional where we would expect them in, in the pecking order. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, and we're, we're running long right now, but I mean, App State and Coastal are two of the biggest teams to talk about, uh, in this conference, of course. So, uh, but with that, let's go over to Georgia Southern and, um, look nine out of Georgia Southern 13 games were decided by eight points or less. Uh, they, they did beat Louisiana tech in the new Orleans bowl to cap at eight and five campaign four and four in the conference. But BK, not very favorable for them. Four and a half wins slated uh, for this year. We have them at five and seven as well. Uh, we only have them favored in three and talent edges in three. So it makes sense. And our guy CK has a question. And with Shy Words transferring to Louisville to become a wideout, uh, who is going to step in at QB for Georgia, uh, for Georgia Southern uh, to run that triple option? Josh Tomlin looked good at the end of last season, but they also have had uh, Georgia Tech transfer in. Uh, transfer James Graham as well, Nick. So uh, there's a lot on the line here, specifically at that QB position for Georgia Southern. Yeah, it's a uh, it, it's a really good question. It's it's interesting because it's been an kind of an evolving situation. Because uh, I two years ago I, I was pretty impressed with a couple of moments that James Graham had as a starter. At Georgia Tech, I, I thought that he had a chance to really develop into a good quarterback for them, and then you know ends up losing the job to James uh, Jeff Sims, and and obviously transfers out. Uh, he was there for spring practice, as I understand it, but uh, had something come up where he wasn't able to to be like a full participant, and then just in the last couple of weeks. His uh, position changed on the official team roster. He's now listed as a wide receiver. So everything is pointing toward James uh, Graham not being a factor at, at the quarterback position. That would suggest to me that Tomlin is is kind of the, the guy to beat there. Um, but I think there's a chance that Sam Kennerson, uh, who was a true freshman last year, only played a, a couple of snaps, uh, but 
has great speed. Both he and Tomlin have, have you know, good speed, but it, it appeared to me just in the brief uh, bit I, I got to see of Kinnerson that he might be a, a little bit faster, maybe is kind of a little more of a, a true home run threat that uh, Shy Wirtz was, was able to be at times over his career at Georgia Southern. So, you know, one of those two guys seems to, to be uh, the, the quarterback of the future there. Kinnerson was a higher rated recruit coming out of high school, but uh, seems like Tomlin is, is kind of, you know, penciled in at, at number one right now and has a, has a shot given he, he's played, you know, a couple hundred snaps, almost 300 snaps combined over the last two years, got a couple of starts last season, uh, played, you know, when Hertz was, was injured and unavailable. So uh, Tomlin seems to be the guy to beat, but, but I wouldn't count out Kinnerson. And then they brought in a, a true freshman, pretty highly rated for Georgia Southern and, and Cameron Ransom. So I think they've got options, uh, even if it looks like James Graham isn't going to be one of them at, at this point. But uh, Georgia Southern is is a really interesting case in a year where so many teams bring back so much experience and returning production. They lost a lot. Shy Wirtz was the, maybe the most experienced quarterback in college football and, and after making 46 starts uh, for Georgia Southern decides that that his best opportunity for the future is to show what he can do as a receiver moves up to the power five level and, and leaves a hole there uh, Georgia Southern ranks 113th in our returning production calculations they did lose uh, you know one full-time starter on the offensive line and, and Drew Wilson they also uh, are, are pretty hurt pretty hard defensively. They rank 103rd in our defensive returning production. Raymond Johnson was an undrafted free agent. Uh, Rashad Bird, last I checked, wasn't in an NFL camp, but that could change. He was a a 100-rated player by the time he left, uh, just based on the the amount of production that he had there at Georgia Southern. So those are two big losses, one on the defensive end, one at linebacker. They had some issues pop up last season with – uh, some legal issues hit hit multiple starters, including Wesley Kennedy the third at, at running back. A uh, couple of you know three defensive players as well. Uh, C.J. Wright, who is one of their higher rated players defensively, was in that mix, but it looks like he is back and on the roster and and I guess in good standing. But they lost you know three potential impact players uh, were were dismissed as as a result, and that happened late last season. So. There's a there's quite a bit of, of transition there. They've also got a new offensive coordinator, new full time. He did take over play calling duties late last year, so it's not a complete uh, you know change in system or, or somebody who's completely unfamiliar. But there's there's more moving pieces at Georgia Southern than there are in a lot of the teams that we've talked about so far. Any of the, the maybe with Arkansas State, there's a lot going on, but Georgia Southern. You know, there's there's some uh, new faces in new places, and and they have addressed some with uh, the transfer portal. Amari Jones from Tulane, who I think is a perfect stylistic fit to replace Wesley Kennedy, can do you know all the same stuff: return man, catch passes, uh, be a good you know slot back, wing back type guy. JD King hopefully will be fully healthy, able to carry a load out of the the backfield. You know, I think they'll be fine 
with with uh, running the football. They're going to be a top 20 rushing team no matter what. They were 18th last year in our team performance rankings. I think they're going to be just fine. They've got a couple of playmakers at receiver. Sounds like a, a wide receiver that they're really excited about. Uh, Derwin Burgess Jr. Hopefully they'll be creative in, in getting him the football. But, you know, this is a, a team that runs the football, plays good defense. They ranked 18th in our overall defensive team performance, and it was solid against both the run and the pass. They were 22nd against the pass and, and 16th against the run. So, you know, I, I think that they will be able to limit opponents' possessions. This was the slowest moving offense in college football last year. Uh, time between plays was the longest, longer than any other FBS team. They've got, you know, some high level players still. Derek Canteen was an all Sun Belt performer. I think even got maybe a couple of All American mentions uh, just based on, you know, his his ability to pick off passes last season. Had 17 production points by our uh, calculations. But talent is not really something that that Georgia Southern has in bunches. Uh, they, this could be a top twenty five offensive line. They picked up a lot of production points with some you know big time rushing totals over the course of the year. We do fold those in. Uh, their defense is solid at all three levels. They rank sixtieth in our D line uh, talent rankings. They rank eighty third uh, in the front seven, eighty first in the secondary. All of those are in the top half of the Sun Belt. So you know should still be a good defense should put up good numbers because they are uh, going to be able to, to, you know, limit opponent possessions. But I don't know. I don't know if this offense is going to be as, as dangerous without shy words. We haven't seen Georgia Southern without shy words in four years, basically. Uh, they do have some important pieces to replace. So, you know, it, it makes sense that expectations are modest four and a half wins that that win total at DraftKings seems seems low, but, you know, looking game by game, as you said, we only have them favored in three talent edges, just in three, the stats only model, which actually usually really likes Georgia Southern only favored in four. So though they, we do expect on average, they will get two, five wins. Uh, It's, it's kind of, you know, it, it's a little bit tricky to stack all five together when you're when you're looking at the schedule. Yeah, they are capable of knocking off somebody you wouldn't expect. Xavier mentioned they're they're a pain to uh, App State. They've beaten a ranked App State team a couple of times in, in recent years, but right now this looks like a team to be a, a two touchdown underdog against App State. So uh, it's it's tempting me to say that that we should you know consider betting under the four and a half but I, I just think that they are difficult enough and even though the quarterbacks are low rated Tomlin's only a 72 in our individual player ratings Kinderson's a 74 neither of which you know is going to do a whole lot to, to raise the team's overall uh, power rating number but if Tomlin runs for you know a hundred yards against Gardner Webb and, and, you know, has some good, good games against FIU, maybe put a little scare into Arkansas early in the year, whatever can pick up some production points. They'll start to rise and, and be a team that we think, you know, could, could maybe deserve to be favored in a couple more games that we don't currently expect by the end of the season. But right now on paper, it's, it's difficult to make a case that Georgia Southern is going to get back to a bowl game. 
Yeah, I mean, Georgia Southern is uh, an interesting team here, Xavier, but uh, I think the under, I mean, it's hard to bet a team with that. You know, Nick mentioned the pace, uh, how they're slow. They can slog a game down. So they're going to steal one. I feel like that's kind of guaranteed with the way they play. But inexperience at the quarterback position, not a very favorable schedule. It just doesn't add up to be looking like a very positive year for Georgia Southern this year. Yeah, I agree. And without shy words, it's going to be really weird to see what this team can do. However, when you run a primarily triple option offense, you're really just plugging players in. Now, when a dynamic player does come through and is able to, you know, really, you know, transform their offense to where now, you know, the teams are essentially having to scheme for him in so many different ways, that's going to be a little bit different. But for the most part, Nick played uh, the triple option style offense at one point in his life, correct? So I mean it's it's a it's a very oh, yeah. much so plug and play kind of offense where guys have been. Yeah, if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> See, hey, that's it. I did not play much. <laughs> uh, but these guys have been grilled in this offense to where I think, especially when you look at you know, especially on offense, you know they they have you know most of their offensive linemen re- returning their quarterback. Although it'll be you know you know he will be getting you know really first time getting his. Uh, starting snaps, excuse me. He's a junior, so he's gonna ha- he has time in the offense that in which he's learned the offense and he understands the offense. So, George Southern absolutely is going to steal one. Does that mean they're going to get to six wins? I'm not gonna go that far. Um, when you look at their schedule, very favorite. You know, I, I like the fact that they start off with Gardner Webb. I think that's gonna obviously help them out as far as you know uh, confidence is concerned. Then they go play at Florida Atlantic, then at Arkansas. I don't like those two matchups for them. Um, and then they hit Louisiana. And then, the, you know, I think they hit a purple patch here with Arkansas State and at Troy. I think they can win those two matchups. And from there, they'll be, I think, three and three or three and four is what I have them at at that point. And from there, let's see what happens. Uh, no, they don't be BYU. No, they don't be App. No, they don't be Coastal Carolina. That still leaves three games open for them to possibly win. Uh, South Alabama, Georgia State, and Texas Tech, and it's Texas State, excuse me, all games that I think are toss-ups uh, and are winnable games. You would think maybe Georgia State's the game that you would say, is less of a toss-up, but it's a rivalry game, so you can never count it out. Teams play always play up in those rivalry games. Uh, so I think for I think Georgia Southern schedule could get them to six wins. I don't think that they're going to be able to do so. I'm more comfortable staying around the four or five margin. Uh, when you have an offense like they do, regardless of talent sometimes, if you're able to get up by two scores with a triple option offense, you can really just wear the game out and make it to where a team is very, very – it makes it very hard for a team, even though that team may be more talented, to get back into the ball game because they don't get the ball again. Um, you know, if they run an eight-minute drive and still punt it, that's still eight minutes off the clock that you weren't able to get the ball back. And so I, I think Georgia Southern has the opportunity and the propensity to steal a game just because of that. On the recruiting trail, this is a team that got better uh, from last year to this year, going from 103 uh, nationally in 2020 to – 92nd uh, in 2021, same thing in the Sun Belt. They went from sixth in the Sun Belt in 2020 uh, to fourth in the Sun Belt in 2021. This is a team that I'm honestly surprised more often. I don't know if this is genuinely from a, from a you know, the fact that they do run the triple option, but I am also, I'm, I'm always shocked that Georgia Southern doesn't bring in more transfers. Uh, you know, I, I do think that they are a team that could really benefit from them year in and year out. They just aren't a team that typically brings a lot of transfer in this year. They're only brought in four. Uh, I, I just think that Georgia Southern, if they were to dig more in the transfer portal, would, would, would find more success uh, because I think Georgia Southern is one of those names in college football that people 
uh, that kids know. So I think they, if they dug in the transfer portal more, they would find more success. Not this year. They only dug in and got four transfers. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is a four-win, maybe five-win team. And that would put them right on the line, and you don't want to bet when it's Mm-mm. right on the line. Well, I'm not putting money on George Southern anyways. I can't do that. That's blasphemous. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, speaking of, we go over to Georgia State. And uh, that last year, with a good offense and improved defense, they posted their second straight winning record, uh, third in uh, four years. And they did beat WKU uh, 39 to 21 in the bowl game to cap a nice six and four season, four and four in the conference. Uh, we have them under 500 again at five and seven. Uh, their DK total is five. So another one that's flirting right there. Favorite to win in five, Town Edges in five as well. And our question here is, is from hmm, Xavier. Wonder who that could be. Um, and he put on the sheet here with the improvement of GCU's defense uh, that that GCU's defense made during the second half of the year going to be possible with George Strachan uh, transferring to South Carolina and will Quad Brown have a sophomore slump? So I will leave uh, that to you, Nick. What do you think about uh, Georgia State for 2021? Well, I was really impressed uh, with how much the defense improved. It, it improved a lot. They ranked 119th in our defensive team performance rankings in 2019, and they were 39th overall last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 32nd against the run. They, they did a pretty good job. The, the front four, solid, and then the pass rush was was a big, big part of that, and, and Strachan being one of the most productive pass rushers in all of college football last year. So uh, they made a, a big improvement. And if they're able to carry that over, then, you know, this this is going to be a very, very dangerous team this year. But, you know, Strachan decided to, to take his talent to the SEC and, and uh, sort of get a, a, a bump in strength of schedule uh, and, and, you know, get, get himself – get himself in, in uh, place to have more eyeballs for NFL scouts, talent evalu- evaluators, all that good stuff. So it's a, it's a, it's a loss. They're still going to be good on the defensive line. I think, uh, you know, when you have a, a three, four and, and return four <laughs> returning starters, uh, that shows that you've got a, a pretty deep group. Uh, Hardrick Willis is a, a good defensive end. Dante Wilson very experienced in the interior, 32 uh, career games, has had a lot of production from that spot, both of those guys. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be fine. The secondary uh, was solid, not necessarily spectacular, but had two guys get all-conference recognition in Quaven White and, and uh, Atavius Lane. So I, I think that the defense is, you know, the improvement that they made, I think it's maintainable. Uh, not sure that they're going to be able to take another jump quite like they did to where this really develops into one of the elite uh, G5 or, or even you know one of the, the top defenses in the Sun Belt. But I think they're able to maintain a top 40, maybe top 50 type defense. But, you know, can Quad Brown, uh, will he suffer a sophomore slump? I, I certainly hope not. Uh, he's one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch, I think, you know, getting a a second look at him recently uh, this past week kind of helped solidify some of my thoughts coming into the off season, just a a quarterback who's got a ton of tools, you know, can, can certainly uh, run. He he glides when he runs, takes up, you know, 
covers a lot of ground and in, in what seems like uh, very easy uh you know, it, it, it's just smooth. It's natural. It's it's like it doesn't take a lot of effort for him to gain a lot of ground. It's just a, a long strider, big body, uh, still a little thin, but, you know, I, I think is is going to continue to put on weight as he goes. And I think as has promised as a passer, certainly has a lot of weapons to work with. Sam Pinckney and, and Cornelius McCoy, two, you know, that might be one of the best wide receiver duos in the conference and, and certainly two guys who are all conference caliber, you know, type players. And it's a pretty deep group and, and Roger Carter being, uh, you know, maybe the, the second best tight end in, in the Sun Belt has a, a certainly a, an argument to be made to, to be the guy behind Isaiah likely one of the better offensive lines you would expect last year didn't grade out as well as, as we would have hoped. 85th in our line performance rankings last year, but all five guys are back. Shamarius Gilmore is a, a 47 game starter, uh, all conference performer in, in past years. So, you know, I think they're going to be fine. Destin Coates is, is a good running back and they're deep there too. Tucker Gregg kind of uh, jumped up out of nowhere, had a couple of big games. Uh, and they got Jameis Williams, who is a former big, big time recruit at South Carolina, Transferred to Georgia State, decided he didn't want to play defense anymore, play running back, and he gives them, you know, kind of an added element uh, there and, and, you know, some short bursts, but I think capable maybe of, of having a bigger role as well. I think offensively, there's a lot to like. Uh, I think Quad Brown, you know, if he were to step back, it would just be maybe because an injury popped up or something like that or, or uh, somehow – opponents were able to, to take away some of his uh, skill set because he's he's got so much around him to work with. And as a, a guy who can hurt you both through the air and on the ground, you know, that, that's a lot to worry about. That's a lot for me to, to think that Georgia State, Georgia State is, is in pretty good hands with him at quarterback. So I, I really like this team. I, I don't see any major – weak spots, you know, don't see any uh, areas on the roster where I'm, I'm scratching my head, kind of wondering what, you know, how are they going to fill this this spot, even with Strachan gone, you know, I, I think they're going to be okay. You know, Shamar uh, McCollum transferred from Wake Forest, played a good bit at, at a power five level there. So you would think you'd be able to, to slot him in and, and, you know, get some other guys coming back everybody else just about is back, has a full year of experience uh, practicing, getting some reps in, in other games as well. So I, I think they're, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. Strachan is, is a, a, an impactful player, but with him being really the only significant loss, you know, I, I don't see a major step back. My concern is the schedule. And, you know, we talked about Arkansas state schedule doesn't set up very well. Georgia Southern, you know, it's it's not the very best schedule. Which, by the way, I did catch a replay of the uh, Georgia State Georgia Southern game the other day. According to the announcers, uh, Georgia Southern does not consider Georgia State a rival. They consider App State their rival. So uh, I'll, I'll just you know did want to mention that, but uh, seems to be somewhat one one sided on the on the hate. Uh, scale there but uh but anyway and app state considers michigan their rival (laughs) 
you know, I mean, but, that's just the way it goes. You're always trying to play up. Come on. Yeah. There you, you know. go. Uh, but uh, the schedule is the issue because Army, always tough. Georgia State has some experience with Army, played them a couple of years ago. So it's not going to be new. They play, you know, triple option teams on occasion already. It's not going to be something crazy that, that you know, and they get extra time to prepare all summer. But that's a tough matchup. Then North Carolina is a top 25 team. Some people think, you know, a, a top 15 type team. Charlotte, I think, will be an improved program, an improved team on the field compared to what we saw last year. And then Auburn. Always, you know, yeah, Georgia State had a, a big win over an SEC opponent a couple of years ago, but a uh, few would expect Georgia State to, to be able to, to beat Auburn. We expect they'll be a, a three-touchdown underdog. So that's a very, very difficult non-conference slate. And then you start with App State, who's our highest-ranked team in conference play. You get it at home, but, you know, playing the, the toughest team earlier in the year, wouldn't expect – uh, any major, you know, injuries to have hit by that point. Certainly, anything can happen, but I would think that that App State's going to be pretty close to to full strength at that point. You would you would probably not want to to open uh, with our conference favorite. So it's it's a very difficult start, and we've talked in in past episodes how when things start tough, you know, if 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 uh, the worst case scenario happens there and it could be a one and four start. Uh, I, I think that they could find a way to beat Charlotte. It would not at all surprise me if they beat Army as well, but it's going to be difficult to get to three wins. It's going to be very, very difficult to avoid, you know, two and three out of that. And one and four is definitely in the realm of possibility. Oh, and five is even possible, probably, probably pretty unlikely, but you know, it, it, stranger things have happened. So, it could be very difficult if they lose some games early on and, you know, if uh, they get beat up a little bit, if they uh, lose some confidence, it can be difficult to, to turn it around. Fortunately, then they do play ULM. They do get a bye week and, and hopefully can finish the season strong because early in our offseason, I was thinking Georgia State might be kind of a sneaky East you know, potential team that could could win the East. Uh, but I, I really don't like the schedule, how it sets up. They do have to play Louisiana in a, in a crossover, so they, they have to play the big three. It's just – it's difficult. We've got a lot of toss-ups there. We do expect they can get to five wins, but uh, it, it's going to be tough to, to make it three winning seasons in a row, three straight bowl games – because the, the schedule doesn't really know favors on, on the front end. Uh, sorry about the horn there a couple times. Uh, Nick and I are up in our uh, uh, G5 and P5 best ball drafts right now. But uh, Xavier, I mean, I'm not going to lead you into any Georgia State questions here. I'm just going to let you talk about them. So please uh, go right ahead. Yeah, I, I, I love Georgia State this year. I think this is a, a bowl team. I, I'm betting in our uh, on our betting pool uh, for them to go over. I, I think six wins is more than feasible for this ball club this year. Um, I'll be honest with you. I I, I have an upset special going on here. I, I think that they beat Auburn. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, this is something that I, I've been talking about for a while now uh, with, with not just myself, but other, on other podcasts. I think going into that Auburn game, I, I think that Auburn is in a, a very disarrayed state right now. Uh, and, and I would be really – 
it would it, Auburn would have to do some very, very impressive things from now to September 25th, which is when they play Georgia State, for me to say otherwise. Um, you know, I, I think Georgia State is a – I won't say – I don't think they're a more talented team whatsoever, but I do think at this point they're a more confident team. I do think that they can absolutely go into that game being a more confident team if they only if, if they don't get blown out by a uh, by um, North Carolina. This is going to be a team that comes in with a lot more confidence. Uh, you're looking at a game where the very next game after Georgia State for Auburn is at LSU, and the game before Georgia State is at Penn State. Uh, so this is a team in, in Auburn that could absolutely be overlooking Georgia State to get to LSU at that point. They could also be beat up from the week prior after playing a tough Penn State team on the road. Uh, so. You know, and, you know, it's also, you know, this is pretty early, but it's also um, Auburn's homecoming. You know, Georgia State's not going to like that, not going to take that as a, a favor whatsoever. Uh, so I, I think Georgia State wins that Auburn game. Uh, for me, when, the, when we talk about the rest of the schedule, I absolutely, it's not favorable for them, especially at the end of the year. Uh, that month of November is hellacious. You know, you have to go to uh, Louisiana, to Coastal Carolina uh, in that to start that month off after, you know, going – to Georgia Southern to end the month of October. So that three-game stretch is not fun uh, for them either. But this is a team I think that when we talk about um, when we talk about balanced, really outside of you know if they can replace Jordan Strachan from a, from a defensive pass rush per, uh, perspective, this is a very balanced team. Uh, I think offensively they're going to be even better this year. I think last year you know to Nick's credit they didn't uh, the offensive line I don't think graded out as well because I think you saw especially early on uh, you saw. Uh, a propensity for Georgia State to really deviate away from the run game a lot due to injuries at at the beginning in the uh, at the beginning of the year. Destin Coates was had a nagging injury to start the year off. You saw Tucker Gregg had to be featured um, in the Arkansas State matchup that they have had last year. Uh, that was a complete different you know um, scheme that they were running in the bowl game. Much more run heavy, um, and the defense really showed out in that game. And yes, Jordan Strachan had a lot to do with that. But that secondary for me is going to be is really working into being, I think, one of the better secondaries in the Sun Belt. Uh, and Tavius Lane, who is a, a possible All Conference kid, is only a sophomore. Uh, this is a guy who really just came on last year and kind of surprised everybody. Uh, Quavian White gives you the uh, the senior leadership that you're looking for, and this is a really senior laden uh, secondary between you know between the starting corners and seniors. I'm sorry, starting corners and safeties. You only have one guy who isn't a senior. Uh, you know, ty- you know that, that you're looking at that's going to get significant time, uh, and that is in Tavius Lane. So I think when you look at the defense, you're looking at a senior laden defense that I think is trying to you know that can be a team that's going to give a lot of teams some headaches and. You know, the, the, the offense is week in and week out is going to get most of the clippings. Quad Brown and the offense that also added, you know, uh, another huge target from him and uh, Josiah uh, Cradell from from UCF. That's going to that's another big target for him to throw to outside of Sam Pinckney. So I think that this team can absolutely win seven games, put it on the books. I am going to put. Let's just put seven hundred dollars down. Let's just go ahead and put seven hundred dollars. Uh, I'm yeah, Georgia State to go over the five win total. The DraftKings has them at. I think five is is a little too low. I think if they were at six and a half, I wouldn't touch them. Uh, but five is too low for me. I think there's a team that can that can win seven ball game, uh, seven games next year. I um, mean, yeah, I, I, I like Georgia State. I don't. I'm not going to call them a sneaky team to finish uh, to possibly win the conference or win the East next year. I don't think they're there just yet. Maybe a, maybe in a year or so. Uh, but not right now. I mean, at least there's no complete Homer bias. 
no, in, no, no. in that pick at, at all. So that's good. But um, we'll move to uh, it up with fake dollars. So. <laughs> that's right. Hack it up with fake, his fake money where his mouth is. So hey, that's right. Know. That's right. <laughs> um, we go over to Louisiana who uh, were co-champs with Coastal Carolina, who was their only loss, and that was 30-27 to 27 in week four. Uh, Louisiana won the West for a third straight season and finished 10-1 and one last year. DK number is 9.5. We have them at 9-3. We do have them favored to win 9 and talent edges in 11. But TK's got another question for us here, Nick, and uh, it absolutely pertains to the way they run their offense. It's Louisiana has quite a team, but they are losing a lot of rushing produ production with Eliza Mitchell, Elijah Mitchell, and Trey Regis going to the NFL. Does Chris Smith just get 200 plus carries, or are they going to break it up evenly, kind of like they did last season? So uh, Louisiana, another one of the top three teams here in this conference, Nick. Yeah, I I, I think it's a it's a very good question and it's difficult to answer because on the one hand i i do subscribe to the theory that running backs are you know not every running back is is replaceable running back as a position is more easily replaced than any other offense position and you know when you're losing two guys who are in the nfl elijah mitchell was drafted in the sixth round uh, I know there are some people out there excited, think that he's a, a sleeper capable of, of contributing as a rookie. Uh, Trey Regis is is in camp, going to be in camp with the Raiders. So, you know, those are two very talented players. It, it's, it's rare to have two NFL running backs in a G5 backfield. It, it just doesn't happen all that often. That said, Chris Smith has already been an all-conference kick return. Uh, somebody who has gotten, you know, some work in the backfield because uh, Billy Napier, who is, uh, to my knowledge, the only Sunbelt head coach who currently follows us on Twitter uh, now that, that Blake Anderson is, is out of the Sunbelt, but, uh, you know, has has rotated running backs in the past. And it, it makes me think that, you know, a, a transfer coming in like Jacob Kadobi from, uh, Texas A&M, also uh, Imani Bailey, who got some work in very limited uh, spurts, but but got a little bit of work as a true freshman last year, was a pretty highly rated recruit uh, by Sunbelt standards. You know, have to think that both of those guys will be in the mix for carries. TJ Wisham, somebody who I, I think uh, probably, especially in some short yarded situations, being over 210 pounds, close to 220, probably will, will be in the mix. And then, you know, the highest rated recruit just is, as far as pure points go from 247 Sports in our top five is a true freshman in Terrence Williams. So I think Smith will be the, the number one option. I think that it'll be more of Smith getting a heavier workload than it was kind of the co-number ones of Mitchell and Regis. But it's still, at least on paper, a pretty deep unit. And given the way that, you know, the program has split up carries in the past, I, I don't know that Smith's going to get that, you know, I, I don't know that he's going to get 200 plus carries. Uh, but he might get a heavier workload than, than we've seen from recent 
Louisiana running backs. I also am, am somewhat hopeful of this, that Levi Lewis runs a little bit more, especially closer to the goal line. He's somebody who still very small, but uh, I think I, I've seen some NFL running back skills. Maybe, maybe I'm just flawed as a, as a talent evaluator, but he flashes some, some real uh, elusiveness and, and is a guy that I think can, can be very dangerous if he takes off and runs a, a bit more. So I think that coupled in with, you know, uh, some, some other options makes me think that Smith is not going to get just a crazy heavy workload, but you know, whoever it is that that's, that's uh, getting the, the football, I think Louisiana is still going to be, you know, a, a, a very dangerous offense. This was a top 30 offense in college football, according to our team performance rankings last year, top 60 passing offense was a bit of a surprise because on paper, uh, the receiver group was ranked among the worst in, in FBS in our talent rankings all last year. And they were like 129, 130 all season. But Karen Lacey steps up, uh, you know, Jalen Williams and Peter LeBlanc are, are back as returning starters. Emil Rogers was a starter. Uh, returning last year. Then they add John Stevens, who is a, a transfer from TCU. Plus, I saw some you know good things early on uh, from Dante Fleming. Uh, was was slowed a little bit by injury. Jamal Bell missed all of last year with an injury. So I, I think the receiver group is uh, you know certainly going to benefit from experience. But I think they're a little bit more talented now too they're still triple digits in our overall rankings as far as wide receiver and tight end but but i i think this is a an improved unit a unit that that's you know going to give levi lewis some options to work with and and they certainly do attack down the field with him not not afraid to uh you know to to throw the long ball so couple that with a top 10 offensive line in our offensive line performance rankings has all five starters back plus a full-time starter uh, as a transfer from ULM uh, coming in, you know, this, this should be a very solid offense. And then there's no reason to expect that the defense will take a step back. This was our number one passing defense in team performance. They were a top 30 defense overall. They, you know, weren't quite as good against the run, but uh, overall, you know, Louisiana is a, a very, very solid team defensively. They only lost one part-time uh, starter to transfer in, in Joe Dillon, and everybody else is back. That includes, you know, two all-conference type performers in Zion Hill, who uh, you know is a, a defensive end and, and safety. Braylon Tran. Plus, they've got P5 transfers kind of all over the place. I, I think this is maybe you know App State certainly has an argument, but Louisiana might have the the best defense in the Sun Belt. I think statistically it, they could conceivably get there this year. So it's completely understandable to think that this is one of the teams to beat, you know, back-to-back very solid seasons. I have fewer concerns that last year's 10 wins uh, is is repeatable somewhat like I do with Coastal Carolina. I think Louisiana is legit. I, I think that they are, you know, proven a proven winner i really like billy napier i I like i like the staff at coastal carolina as well but i think it's just a a little bit longer track record a little bit more of a history of of success so i i you know nine and a half is is difficult it's going to be difficult to get there but 
I, I think that Louisiana is certainly the team to beat in the West. Easily a top three. They are they are separated that top three from the rest of the uh, from the conference, in my opinion. Favored in eleven in our stats model. Favored in eleven in our talent edge. You know they're they're only nine in in our official model, but all of them are close. Less than a field goal against Liberty. Uh, less than one against App State, and then even that opener against Texas, we we think is going to be a, a good bit closer than what the current uh, spread is is at uh, you know sports books out there right now. So we see that as closer to a one score game. And then think about hey, you're facing a head coach in his first time as a head coach in a few years, new program. Uh, think about how the I know one nope. year doesn't always translate to the next, but think about nope. how. The Big 12 uh, struggled with the Sun Belt in week one last year. Crazy things have happened. So, you know, this this is certainly a, a very, very good team. The way we add up all, all of our projected win totals game by game, it comes up short of nine and a half. Uh, we more so project a, a nine and three final record. That seems about right. They were fortunate in some spots last year, beat Georgia State in overtime. Georgia State had multiple chances to, to win that game. Uh, they won a game against Georgia Southern where they had less than a 20% post-game win expectancy. They won a game against UAB where they were roughly 40%. Uh, they also, you know, the game against UTSA was a coin flip as far as post-game win expectancy goes, and, and they were able to get that by a touchdown. So it, it's not crazy to think that some of those uh, maybe go the other way in 2021. But I, I, I'm I'm more confident in Louisiana as a ten win team than I am Coastal Carolina. I'm not going to bet the over nine and a half, but I I would I think it's I think it's possible. I, I think getting uh, to nine seems right. Getting to ten is is very very possible, and then another Sun Belt West title. So. Uh, this is a good team, top 40 type team. They're 42nd right now in our, in our rankings, but, uh, I think that they will improve over the course of the year. And it would not surprise me at all if, if, uh, we're talking about, you know, Louisiana being a a top 25 type team in our power ratings at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, look, Xavier, this team has, uh, what looks to be one guaranteed loss in, in uh, Texas, which, uh, you know, I mean, Nick can call it a one score game. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, it, it, the, the points I get uh, Texas has struggled, new coaching staff, new quarterback, all that good stuff. Not going to lose to Louisiana, but uh, the only other game that seems to throw uh, games that seem to throw a wrench in here are app state uh, on, on a Tuesday. Uh, that it's a weird day and a tough game. Uh, and then Liberty they have, uh, which they're not favored in either of those games. Every other game there, uh, outside of the Troy game, they're an over 50% chance uh, projected, you know, to win according to our winning percentage numbers here. So, uh, the schedule is pretty favorable for them, but that's, that's a big number to get to. Yeah. And I don't, when it comes to Louisiana, I, I think that they get 10 wins, um, or at least, you know, I, I think they definitely are able to get to, you know, they, they go to at least nine and a half, or well, they can't get nine and a half, but they get to at least nine. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think this is a team, when you look at it, they did lose a lot of 
production, but they didn't lose a lot of talent. And I think that that's where we get we we fall into this you know returning production metric. When you look at obviously the two backs in which they got lost in Elijah Mitchell, um, and you know Trey Regis, obviously those were the faces outside of their quarterback that were the faces of Louisiana football as far at least offensively the last couple of years. I think this year and, and for a lot of you know, fans, they'll say, oh, they lost Mitchell and Regis. This team is going to struggle. Well, not necessarily. Nick hit it right on the head. That defense is going to be still one of the best defenses in the conference, if not the best defense in the conference. Now it helps when you have two running backs who can chew clock the way that they were able to do so, and your defense doesn't have to be on the field as much. That'll be something that they do have to see if that's going to be a nuance that they add to their offense. Because when you got Louisiana into a passing kind of game, they did struggle at times uh, uh, last year. They, they were a team that if they weren't planning on passing coming into the week, then they struggled in game to to switch over uh, and to flip that switch, especially against Georgia State earlier in the year. You know, the, the run game wasn't necessarily clicking to start the year off or to start the game off. And they and they struggled to find their footing in the passing game until the second half. So that'll be something that I'm definitely looking for Levi Lewis to take a step in and a step in the right direction. Uh, if he can show me his ability as a runner, I think he's just going to be more of a complete player this year without his two guys in the backfield that aren't that are going to be more earnest on him to be the guy, um, you know, and have to carry more of the load. So that'll be something to watch throughout the season as it progresses, not only from a can he do it perspective, but from a health perspective. When you put a quarterback through that, you know, not only throwing the football, but running the football that much, you know, that's going to be that's going to be some wear and tear on those tires come the end of the year, um, especially when your first game of the season is at Texas. You know, that's going to be a very physical matchup uh, from week one. You know, I'm hoping at least, you know, if they've, Texas's defense has learned how to tackle in one offseason. Uh, but that's going to be a that's going to be a very physical <laughs> matchup uh, there. And I like the schedule. I, I like the way it lines up. You know, they don't have to play coastal. Uh, they don't get any. I don't think they have really many trap games uh, merged in there with a big game. You know, uh, yes, App State games on a Tuesday. So it's going to be a short week for them. Uh, which is going to be a little weird. Uh, that's the only concern I have about that game is that it's going to be a very short week, but they both have a short week that week. So it, it's it's on both teams to come in and, and, and play that game like that. Uh, and then obviously I think that they can run the rest of the table if they, you know, if they found their footing and if they have learned what they want to do offensively. Sometimes when you lose two talented running backs, your identity shifts a little bit and that takes a little bit of time to get used to. Outside of those two things, I think this is still a nine-win ball club at worst. Um, I'm not going to put any money for them to go over, but Louisiana is going to be perfectly fine. And, yes, we're calling them Louisiana, guys. Not Louisiana Lafayette. Just, just, you know, I don't want to get another email. So, yeah, uh, I think this is a team (laughs) that can absolutely uh, handle that. Uh, And I think from a recruiting perspective, this is a team that recruited really well this past year, finishing 69th nationally, first in the Sun Belt. Uh, And they did it, you know, with, yes, they brought in nine transfers, which, once again, I, I don't. I continue to say this, and it's mind-boggling every time. The rich get richer when it comes to this transfer portal stuff. Um, you know, they they went in there and they brought in talent after talent. Uh, they brought in a, you know a guy in uh, Lance Legendre. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it that way. Uh, he was. A- I think it, I think it's uh, Lou. Uh, I, I'm gonna screw it up. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's you know French Cajun. I think it's yeah. LeBron. Le- <laughs> way to jump in and just lay the egg. Nick. Sorry. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it in. Keep it in. You know, this was a four-star coming out of high school as a quarterback. So, you know, the, the rich get richer. You know, yes, he was a three-star transfer, but he's a four-star coming out of high school. So, you know, I, I think that this is a team that consistently just is, is not just going to be good this year, but is probably going to stay around for a while atop the Sun Belt Conference from uh, 
year after year. I think I would say Legendary, uh, if if we're going uh, French. I mean, Canadian. hey. It, it, <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I'm just making stuff up at this point. So uh, if we're going uh, French, Cajun, Canadian, then it's Legendre. So, but yes. Legendre. I mean, who knows? Well, you know, get on the field. Then we'll know how to pronounce his name. That, that's, mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. we'll say. Uh, we're, we're entering into uh, – some of the lower end teams, we still got to talk about Troy is good, but uh, the other three teams are all post 100 now. And we'll start with South Alabama here. And um, the, the Jags were improved early. They opened up three and two and two and oh in conference play, but lost five of the last six down the stretch to finish four and seven, uh, three and five in the conference. And Steve Campbell was fired. Uh, we have them at six and six this year. Uh, the DK's a win total is five. So it looks like that could be a bettable number, uh, favor to win five talent edges in four. And, uh, Steven has a question for us again, Nick, and it is Texas state or South Alabama, which one has a better chance to exceed preseason expectations. So, uh, what do you think about South Alabama going into 2021? It's a, it's a really difficult question for me to answer because neither I think has, uh, you know, outlandish expectations by any stretch. I, I think the Sun Belt is pretty clear, by the way, we've talked about teams thus far, that it's kind of the three at the top. There's some in the middle. And then, you know, now now we're talking about some of the low triple digits. We've got South Alabama 104 in our current uh, power ratings. Only ULM is lower, but they're right right there with with Texas State, who's 101 right now. So at least as far as our expectations, they're pretty modest for both South Alabama and Texas State. But with two fairly, you know, evenly matched teams who, when they do play, it is in San Marcos. So, uh, you know, the, the home field advantage given Texas State there, plus I think on the whole, the the schedule leans a little bit to uh, Texas State, so I, I'm 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 tempted to say Texas State, but I think that there are more kind of high end opportunities where if if it really you know if if the Jake Bentley transfer hits, you know this is a guy who's played a lot of football, thirty seven starts in. You know the power in Power Five programs, South Carolina, of course, for for multiple years, and then last year at Utah. If if he hits, and we did downgrade his his rating, there have been very few in our history who we've we've looked at a player and just said, you know, things are a little too high. Shea Patterson was one, Blake Bennett was one. Uh, it's it's happened a few times here and there, but I just had to do it with Bentley based on. Uh, he, he's played so much and he was starting to creep up toward the high nineties in our, our normal calculations for our, our VGR plus player ratings. And for a guy at, at South Alabama, who just, you know, hasn't been super consistent, hasn't put up huge numbers. It, it kind of, I don't know, it, it seemed too high. So I've, I've dropped him down into kind of a mid three-star range rating coming out of high school and, and just sort of the way it, it's played out over his career. Now he's a, an 84. 
maybe that's low. Maybe we should give him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. It sounds like he came in, had a great spring, won the uh, quarterback job right away. And yeah, maybe, you know, maybe he, he really finds a stride and, and can put up some big numbers at South Alabama. He's certainly going to have one of the best receivers, maybe in all of college football, to throw to in, in Jalen Tolbert, who is a you know big target, 6'3", 200 pounds in, in that range, is getting some NFL buzz, sounded like he would have been uh, potentially drafted in, uh, you know, the, the, the 2020 draft. So um, certainly getting him to work with Jalen Waynes had some moments as a starter there. They brought in Alan Daly, who was, uh, you know, 13 starts at, at Kentucky. So another power five transfer seems like they're going to have some players to work with. Kareem Walker is a, a well-traveled running back who they added to the mix as well uh, because they did lose Carlos Davis to the, the transfer portal after an off-field issue. So they're, they're, you know, a lot of working, a lot of moving parts, a lot, a lot of things in transition on the offense. But so, uh, you know, with, with so many moving parts, and Texas State certainly has plenty, as, as we'll get to here. But I, I think that coupled with uh, – and, and kind of I guess what I mean by that is how much they're going to rely on transfers being with, with Bentley as the go-to guy and with a first-year head coach. Yeah, you know, Kane Womack was at South Alabama three years ago and has some familiarity with, with players there. But, you know, kind of all of that rolled together, I, I feel like Texas State is – uh, kind of starting from maybe a, a little bit of a more sal- solid foundation, even if last year, you know, had a worse record and, and all of that. So I, I think to answer Stephen's question in my, as usual, very long-winded way, I think Texas State maybe has a chance to, to jump up and, and kind of exceed expectations. But right now, I don't necessarily expect a huge jump for either. And I, I think that their expectations are, are modest enough that, you know, it, it's uh, right now looking at the win totals, South Alabama, five wins. That actually is only one, you know, one improvement over last year, but seems like a fairly big jump getting to five wins, getting to knocking on the door of, of bowl eligibility. It doesn't seem, even though South Alabama started so strong last year, that they were that close to to breaking through and making it to a bowl, if that makes sense. So I just feel like South Alabama maybe has a little bit more ways to go, if that makes sense. Starting over with a head coach, relying so much on some transfers at some very, very key spots. My my first instinct is to, is to say that Texas State uh, is more likely to, to exceed expectations. But you know, South Alabama, I mentioned the, the talent level is on the rise. A lot of that is due to transfers, but they're up to 103 in our overall roster strength. They're up to 91 offensively. That includes Tolbert, who's a 96-rated player, pretty quick in, in the 2021 season. I expect he'll be a 100-rated player. Sounds like he's going to be a, a decent uh, draft pick as well. So expect that offense to, to continue to play pretty well. They rank 44th in our passing team performance numbers last year. Offensively, overall, they were 94th because the rushing attack was 116th. So, you know, obviously some some work to be done. They've 
really, really worked to try to improve the offensive line. It ranked 121st in our performance rankings last year, but they brought in, by our count, five offensive line transfers, two of which we pencil in as starters. So, you know, they've had some guys leave through the transfer portal, but I, it might have been, you know, maybe encouraged because they've been hitting the transfer portal really hard at, at the offensive line position as well. The defense, I really like Kane Womack as a defensive play caller. We do have him as the quote-unquote defensive coordinator in our, our rankings for South Alabama, and he's a top 50 uh, defensive coordinator. So, you know, pretty solid defenses at Indiana, at South Alabama prior, and he's got some work to do because as a, a defense against the pass, the Jags ranked 114th last year. Defense overall, they were 95th a little bit better against the run, and they do have a, a at least experienced uh, roster returning, a lot of players coming back in uh, really all three levels, including A.J. DeSager at, at linebacker and Keith Galman, who's kind of a safety uh, hybrid as well, two of my favorite Sunbelt defenders. But there seem to be at least a lot of early indications that multiple returning starters might end up losing – their jobs. Uh, Nick Mobley, a linebacker I've seen as a second teamer, even though he's, I believe the top returning tackler was the, uh, yeah, the, the number two in tackles last year has been second in a lot of depth charts right now. We still have him uh, there, but it looks like Quentin Wilfon returning from an injury uh, last season is, is projected by a lot of people to, to take over that spot. I've seen uh, Chris Rias, who's a, a Juco transfer coming in, maybe as a, a starter in, in some places. So expect there certainly to be some movement. They are changing from a, a 3-4 to a 4-2-5. So, you know, certainly a, a lot of players who are kind of in-betweeners will be in, in uh, different spots. Guys like Sean Jennings, Christian Bell, both of whom were former Alabama signees ended up at South Alabama have, you know, experience and, and definitely a lot of raw talent. Not sure exactly where they'll fit if they're both going to be uh, defensive ends, you know, edge rusher type guys, or, or maybe if somebody uh, plays one of those stand up linebacker positions. They also have Chris Henderson, who has been kind of right there on the fence with a starting role in the past. So they've got some some personnel things to, to figure out on both sides of the ball. But I, I do think that in the long run, Camel Mack was a smart hire. They, you, you hear about all the, the great facilities they've got. South Alabama seems to be a program that is, you know, really investing in football. They built a brand new stadium. And so they, the, the long-term future, I think, is really, really bright. And I, I'm not sure that they're going to get it done this year to, to jump up and, and make a bowl. Uh for whatever reason, getting from four to six wins seems like a pretty big uh, jump for me, just sort of based on how the schedule sets up, how the roster sets up. But I think long-term, there's a lot to like about South Alabama. And this year, have a lot of fun watching Jalen Tolbert. He's he's one of the best receivers in college football. Yeah, and uh, look, th this schedule, Xavier, uh, it sets up to build some confidence early. They open up with Southern Miss, Bowling Green, and Alcorn State. But then it get they get punched in the mouth in conference play. Their first game, Louisiana. Uh, it is at home at least, which is nice. But 
uh, I don't know, man, that, that looks bad in the conference play. You know, they, uh, they have Louisiana, they do play Texas state. So we'll probably find out fairly early about that question. Then, uh, Georgia Southern is a coin flip. Arkansas state's a coin flip. And the last four games here all look like losses in Troy, app state, Tennessee, and coastal Carolina kind of brutal to end it out. So starts nice finishes real mean. Yeah. I mean, can we talk about that November? I mean, what a month. I I mean, to go to Troy, to App State, to Tennessee, and then your first and final home game is Coastal Carolina. That 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 is just awful. I mean, what what a, what an opportunity for. I mean, if if you're you know a competitor, this is what you, this is what you want. You know, you want to be to play the best, obviously. But to play them four weeks in a row is just really tough, um, especially when all of these teams you would expect would be hitting their stride throughout the season and would all look at look at South Alabama as just a, you know, a fork in the road or a speed bump, uh, perhaps. So, you know, I, you know, to 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 greater things. And so, I, you know, their, their first half of the schedule, I think, is actually very favorable, you know. Yes, their non-conference schedule, I think, is rather easy outside of Tennessee. Uh, Southern Miss is going to obviously be a good game, uh, but Bowling Green and Alcorn should handle business there. And outside of Louisiana, the first, you know, those first two months, uh, September, October, you know, you really look at them, Louisiana and Southern Miss, as the two toughest games on the schedule at that point, uh, all of which, you know, they are definitely winnable. They're, they're toss-up games. Uh, but, you know, once again, kind of like with Chase Bryce, I think this team can go as far as Jake Bentley takes them. You know, this is a team, once again, that, that I think is going to have to go is going to have to lean on a quarterback who, all intents and purposes, college football has given up on. Um, you know, Chase Bryce, for the most part, lost all favor with college football after going to Duke. You know, Jake Bentley, I believe, was at Utah last year, loses all favor with college football as he's transferred so many times now, um, and, and he's on his last leg. You know, same thing with Chase Bryce. He's, he's at a university where if it don't work here, bro, you, you don't you don't have any more options. This is it. Uh, and so, you know, when, when a guy is that desperate to 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 want to get back to you know what he was early at, at his tenure in uh, at South Carolina, you know that's that that poises for maybe you know some some, some better play from him. And he, he's going to have to if they're going to do anything uh, as opposed to you know their win total this year. I think five is right around where I would have them at. I think this is a team that can absolutely win six games. Um, their schedule, especially the first half of the year, if they're able to build up enough confidence, they may be able to get to six wins before November. They have to get the six wins before November. Uh, Cause I don't think they're going to win a single game. Once that month starts, uh, maybe they have an opportunity of knocking off Troy. If Troy hasn't had the season that we all think they may have uh, But outside of that, I don't think they get through November with any more than one win. So if you're going to, if you're going to get to six wins, South Alabama is going to have to be at the early part of the year. Um, and you have to do that by building up that confidence. Uh, but outside of that, you know, on the recruiting trail, this is a team that took a step back this past year. Um, only brought in seven and enroll- uh, seven enrollees had a you know eleven total kids signed uh, letter of intents. Uh, excuse me, they brought in eleven kids. Seven have enrolled as of right now. They had an one hundred twenty fourth national ranking for uh, their recruiting class. They had a ninth ranked uh, Sun Belt Conference class. This was a real rough year for them on a recruiting show. Yes, they brought in a ton of transfers, uh, but they didn't they didn't really help their recruiting numbers all of that much. Uh, but they're gonna have to come in and plug and play. A lot of these guys are immediates. Uh, and they're going to have to, you know, be very big for them if they're going to reach the heights of a, of getting to a bowl game this year. Um, so I like them to possibly get to six wins. But mark my words, if they aren't at six wins before November, they're not getting there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's rough down the stretch for them. But let's move over to uh, Texas State. And they were probably better than their 2-10 and 10 record indicates. I love this stat that you put up here, Nick. The Bobcats lost games versus bowl-eligible SMU, UTSA, BC, and Georgia Southern. Those four games all by a combined 15 points. Their DK number is four and a half, but we have them at the same six and six record that we have South Alabama. Like you heard Nick before say that uh, he'd probably take Texas State versus South Alabama as far as who is going to exceed preseason expectations. We have them favored to win six, but only talent edges in two. Uh, and we are questioned here from uninvited walk on. Can a fifth Sunbelt team make a bowl? My lean is Texas State because of their schedule. So what do you think about Texas State for 2021, Nick? It's probably going to sound really weird after I said that that getting from four to six wins for South Alabama seems like a really difficult leap. But I feel like Texas State is closer to six wins. Part of it is what you just mentioned. They were very competitive, very, very competitive. Didn't you know, get, get the job done to actually win those games. Uh, South of Alabama obviously did a better job of finishing particular games, getting wins in the, in the win column than Texas state did, but they were very close lost against some good opponents, you know, gave them, gave them some really tough games, uh, came out against SMU and, and really gave them trouble in a game that they were a, Big, big underdog early on. Uh, UTSA, who, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but was one of the most improved teams in college football, was a bowl team. Uh, Texas State probably should have won that game. Certainly had, a, a, a you know, had their opportunities to do it. I also think they probably should have beat Boston College. The, the postgame win expectancy on that one in particular was Texas State having a, a 74% chance, according to the calculations at, at collegefootballdata.com. So, you know, that was a winnable game. They might have gotten fortunate, actually, to beat Arkansas State, as, as we mentioned earlier. So it has a way of, of evening out sometimes. But uh, they were they were competitive. They were in a lot of games. They looked really, you know, to the eye test to me, uh, like one of the more in t- uh, improved teams in college football in the first half of the season. And one of the sort of silver linings to the way things started, where we had some of the the bigger, uh, you know, uh, Power Five conferences and, and whatnot starting a little bit later, is we got to see more teams like. Texas State. I feel like I got to get a, get a really good up close look at Texas State early in the year, and even though you know they they didn't win very many, came away uh, impressed at least thinking that that they were a much improved team on the field, even if it didn't always look that way. You know when the when the final score uh, when when the final gun sounded, but uh, there are so many personnel things to to talk about with Texas State because you know overall roster strengths not in a great spot 113th overall according to our numbers 114 on offense and 110 on defense uh you know team performance last year even though I thought they were were you know quite improved they still ranked 101st overall so a lot of work to be done offensively even though they showed a lot of promise at times they ranked 77th overall on offense uh team performance 65th in the passing game 77th in the running game so no you know standout unit uh standout uh way of of uh, attacking opponents and then the defense was was just bad i mean they were 119th 
overall in team performance, 127th against the pass. So, you know, the, the coaching staff there decided to take the route of we're going all in with the transfer portal. We talked, what, two weeks ago in a, in a podcast about how they just signed their first high school recruit. They had a couple of JUCO guys, and then everybody else was was FBS transfers, FBS and FCS transfers. So there is competition at just about every position, whether it's with incoming transfers or, or an ongoing competition. Brady McBride was the starter, started eight games, uh, but you know he, there were times where he wasn't able to play. Tyler Vitt uh, was in there. They brought in Ty Evans, who a transfer from NC State is, I believe, when he when he signed, if it's not still the case, was the highest rated recruit uh, as far as his two four seven rating in Texas State history. So he's somebody you would expect will be competing for that job. Uh, Brock Sturgis is a returning starter at running back, but he and Calvin Hill split the load, and and then they also have a uh, in his second year there, but a, another former. P5 transfer, Oklahoma State transfer, uh, Jamal Jeter, who got some work as well. So, you know, there's there's competition there. Marcel Barbie had 10 touchdown catches and really impressive in his first year as a JUCO signee. They also brought back, you know, guys who played a lot in Travis Graham, Javen Banks, uh, Drew Jackson got over 300 snaps, Chandler Spates got over 300 snaps, but they brought in, by my count, one, two, three, four, five wide receiver transfers, including you would expect guys who are going to compete for starting jobs like uh, Dennis Robinson, who was a, a you know 6'5", former starter at uh, Northern Illinois. They brought in a, a starter from Bowling Green and, and Julian Ortega Jones. Waydell Jones is a transfer from Wake Forest who's been in the program for two years now, ready to contribute. Rontavius Groves uh, was uh, a guy who played 34 games, including a couple of starts at, at North Carolina. So, you know, they, they are looking for playmakers once they figure out the quarterback position, if it's going to be McBride or Evans or maybe even Vitt, you know, they're going to have a, a ton of options at least. And you would expect Barbie's probably going to be the number one uh, just based on, on how well he played last year. But from that point, you know, they brought in guys to take other people's jobs pretty much. And, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. On the offensive line, there's a little bit more, you know, at least on paper, looks looks a little bit more consistent, even though they did bring in six O-line transfers. Uh, they, they have four starters returning and then a really, really talented FCS recruit uh, transfer, Liam Dobson from Maine. Uh, it probably is going to be penciled in at, at one of those guard spots. So they, they should be deeper on the offensive line this year. Uh, but it's a unit that ranked 84th in, in team performance on the offensive line last season. So certainly some improvement to be made there. But my questions are, are, are defensively. I, I think on offense, there's, there's enough to like that you think they're going to be able to to give some teams problems. They they looked explosive at times last year, and Jake Spavital is a solid play caller. Even though you know some some lackluster ratings each of the last two years, he still ranks 65th in our offensive coordinator rankings, which which makes him one of the one of the higher rated play callers in the the conference at least. I mean, there there are only two other guys. Uh, who are are significantly better. He's he's kind of middle of the pack overall, but but only only really one 
is kind of an elite play caller, at least as far as our numbers go. So he's he's capable, I think, of taking this unit up a notch, especially now that he's injected some more talent, just kind of has to figure it out. Defensively, uh, you know, that's that's another story because this was a unit that ranked 124th in our D-line uh, performance rankings. I already mentioned, you know, 127th against the pass, 126th uh, against the run. There are very few real bright spots. Jaron Morris at, at corner, who got some all Sunbelt recognition, is is probably the most accomplished uh, player returning. There were certainly some things to like about Nico Isidore, as a, an interior defensive lineman, put up 12 production points last year. Uh, you know, is is a guy I think you can kind of build around a little bit. But they brought in Nick McCann, a 300-plus pound transfer from Texas Tech, to uh, hopefully you know add some size, add some stability up front at linebacker. They went really heavy at, at transfer two years ago, and are bringing back guys like uh, you know Sion uh, Tupo, who was a, a returning starter, Brandon Stringer, a Texas Tech uh, transfer from a couple of years ago, not a starter but played almost 400 snaps, so is a lot of of uh, experience there but the secondary they they really hit it hard uh looks like at least one transfer is already you know penciled in to start in in our depth charts i've seen other you know preseason magazines and and things like that who have up to three uh transfers and and they seem to be coming in as we speak just this past week uh, the first week in, in july they brought in a transfer, Chris Mills, from Missouri. So they are trying to upgrade and increase competition at, at every single level, really at every position group. But uh, defensively, the secondary is, is where they went the hardest at it. And, you know, I, I, I just – I wonder – if it's going to work, <laughs> because uh, not only is it difficult to change over a third of your roster every year with guys coming in from other programs, but when you're trying to rebuild, you know, a, a unit that was so poor statistically, it, it's tough. And one thing that's kind of a, an added little wrinkle here is the defense was the the major issue last season, right? And Jake Spavital is the head coach. Well, his older brother is his defensive coordinator. So it's it's a little tricky to make a change at defensive coordinator when your unit really kind of is the the weak link, kind of underperforms when there's sort of that that family dynamic there. And and it made perfect sense, right? You get your first head coaching job. I'm going to hire my brother. You know, we're going to be lockstep in, in philosophy and all that. It, it's going to be great. But, you know, it's it's uh, it, it can possibly provide some some uh, uncomfortable situations. It makes it difficult to fire your brother. You it know. does. It does. It is pretty difficult. We, we saw, uh, you know, there, there were uh, some Stoops brothers who, who were certainly on staff at Oklahoma. Right. And, and the defense really took a, a bit of a, a backwards step. Uh, in the the last the first couple of years under Lincoln Riley, and it was still a little touchy there. It seemed when Riley had to make a move, so that was even removing one brother from the situation. So it's it's you know hopefully it will work out for Texas State because the schedule really I think sets up pretty nicely. Uh, you you do get 
the opener against Baylor, who is should be favored, a uh, pretty significant favorite, even though Baylor was a bit of a disappointment last year. But that game's at home, and Baylor's coming off of a, a pretty you know tough uh, season under a first year head coach. So that game is potentially winnable. We have Baylor is less than a touchdown favorite. FIU didn't win a game last year. Uh, play an FCS opponent in, in Incarnate Word. Play Eastern Michigan, who, you know, though is is always kind of a pain and, and a, a very tough out every week, is one of the lower rated, you know, roster strength teams that we talked about last week in our, our MAC preview. So uh, only one Power 5 opponent, three games that we actually have Texas State favored in the non-conference. So three, three and one is possible. Two and two is uh, really what what should happen. And then, you know, you get South Alabama at home, a team that's on paper, very, very evenly matched. Uh, you get Troy at home, who is, you know, probably who we would expect to be the fourth bowl team, but uh, that's not a, an unwinnable game. Troy is, is not necessarily in that top three uh, level that we've, I've keep referencing with, with App State and Coastal Carolina and Louisiana. So that's a winnable game. Uh, you know, ULM, you get that game at home, is a, a, a game you probably should win. We have them favored at home against Georgia Southern, just barely, but still favored. Arkansas State, you know, not a not a super long uh, trip there, and Arkansas State's dealing with a first-year head coach. That's a winnable game even on the road at the very end, especially, hey, they knocked off Arkansas State last year. So it, it going back to what I said about South Alabama seems – like it's pretty difficult to get from four wins to six. I think it's it's more likely or, or certainly uh, just as as possible for Texas State to get from two wins to six. So I, I think I agree that Texas State, if there's going to be a fifth Sun Belt team, I mean Georgia State probably or, or Georgia, Georgia Southern maybe should should get there first. But I like the way Texas State's schedule sets up a lot better than I do Georgia State, and I think better than I do Georgia Southern. So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a complete shock if there are five Sun Belt Bowl teams and Texas State is is the fifth one. But that would that would mean that the transfers have to work, that uh, the defense has to get a lot better. And, you know, that, that you really hit the, the quarterback situation. Either Brady McBride is a lot more consistent and, you know, really kind of develops into that dynamic playmaker at the position that it looked like in, in some short spurts early on last year or when he threw for 300, whatever it was, against Arkansas State at a, at a, a big game then. If he can be consistent, not turn the ball over and, and uh, has more weapons to distribute the, the ball to, then this could be one of the best offenses, at least, you know, as far as points and yards and all that goes in the Sun Belt. It's just, will the defense be able to, to step up? It, it's kind of similar to some things we've talked about with, you know, Ole Miss in, in, in uh, previous episodes where the offense, there's a ton to like, and Ole Miss, of course, you know, proved it last year a lot more than, than Texas State is or has. But what will the defense look like? That's that's my concern with Texas State. There's a lot of improvement that needs to be made. And, you know, they're, they're going to be relying on a lot of new faces to get there. Plus what maybe is, you know, behind the scenes, a, a little bit of a uh, 
sticky situation where you've got a, a brother dynamic with your with your play caller there. So there's certainly some arguments to be made that, that Texas State's too far away, but six wins is possible. I, I, I do think it's possible. Don't know that it's likely, but it, you know, they could get there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they can, but I mean, the real issue here, Xavier, is that uh, they have uh, seven coin flip game, coin flip games. If you're looking at coin flip as within, you know, fifty percent, so forty percent to sixty percent, somewhere in that range. You know what I mean? To to me, I see that as a coin flip. So uh, we have them with FIU. We have them favoring that, but Eastern Michigan, South Alabama. Uh, Troy, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, and Arkansas State all as, you know, within that coin flippy type of a range. So, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's going to, you know, uh, I don't I don't feel safe betting any number for Texas State because they could really go either way. Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think their schedule really lends itself to every week is their season. Um, and when you have that kind of a schedule where every game is so much of a toss up that there's no, all right, we're going to win this game or all right, we're the underdogs in this game. It's like every game we could be favored or we could not um, outside of, you know, Baylor and Louisiana and Coastal. I think every other game they're probably, you know, thought of as a possible winner in that game in Eastern Michigan. But it's their schedule for me. I, I will say this. I love how many of the the, the toss-up games are at home. Uh, yes, they get some of the bigger games on the road. Uh, Eastern Michigan's on the road. Louisiana's on the road. Coastal's on the road. But if those are the games that you know for a fact that you're coming in as the underdog in, those aren't necessarily the games that you want to have on at home. You want to have those, on, those, those toss-up games where the thing that really might shift the balance of power is the fact that you're playing at home, is your crowd, is, your, is home cooking. And, and, and if you're able to do that, and, and you see this sometimes – uh, you know, you see this sometimes in football where your your uh, toss up games being at home is what ends up, you know, you, you end up going undefeated at home. And that's what ends up making you a bowl team. You know, and when you look at their schedule outside of the Baylor matchup, all of their games that we would consider toss ups are at home. And if they were to win all of them, that would at least put them on the precipice uh, of being a bowl team with five wins. So I think I love it that their home games are the ones that you would expect to be toss ups. Um, and, and I think that they can lean on that understanding that, you know, we're always going to be playing a Bobcat stadium when it comes to a toss up game outside of maybe Arkansas state to end the year. And I think at that point, if you've built up enough confidence, you can win that game, get to six wins and get to a bowl game. Uh, for me, it, it's just a little bit too much. Uh, if, 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 if for me to pick them as a bowl team, uh, with them being at four and a half as well, I feel like that's a little bit too far away from being a bowl team for me to bet that. Uh, so I, I think this is a, a five win ball club. I think they win their, I think they can very well win their home games. Uh, so I, I think they win their home games and then everything else might be, it is, is a possible crapshoot, uh, for Texas tech or excuse me, Texas state, Texas tech, uh, for Texas state as a lot of their away games are going to be against teams. that I feel like they'd be coming in underdogs outside of probably Georgia. Georgia State and Arkansas State uh, would be the only two games I think that they wouldn't be coming in or in FIU, maybe uh, that they would be coming in as underdogs. Win. So they if they're able to handle business at home, there's a team that gets to five wins, but they're going to have to pull one of those games on the road out to, 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 uh, to get to a bowl game. And I'm not so sure that they do it. Uh, going over to Troy here and uh, Troy. Uh, nearly ruined Coastal Carolina season last year, mm-hmm. giving up a late lead and losing forty-two to thirty-eight. 
Uh, the heartbreaker was one of four one score losses in a five and six season. So they were right there. Uh, we have them projected to go seven and five, which is exactly their DK win total at seven favorites win at eight talent edges in nine. So it looks like it's impossible. And Parker says, I double dog dare you to come up with a scenario where the conference champion is not coastal app or Louisiana. And it makes sense because we have app state F 29. We have coastal at 41. We have Louisiana at 42. And those are the three highest. The next highest in this conference is Troy at 70. So it does seem like a big step down, Nick, but can you paint a scenario where Troy could do it in 2021? I, I think so. And I did reply to uh, Parker's uh, question with a uh, gift from the blockbuster movie starring Brad Pitt, Troy. Uh, so I, 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 I thought that was, I thought that was clever. I'm not really much, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of clever things on, uh, <laughs> on Twitter and Xavier's shaking his head a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think Troy could potentially make a run and, it's it's difficult, I think, to trust Troy because I feel like I've said this each of the last two years that, that we've done these type of shows where, you know, looking at, uh, oh, wow, we're they're favored in eight games. I feel like this time last year it might have been nine. You know, I, I remember their talent edge number was really, really high. So uh, it, it, this is this is not new that our numbers think Troy could make a run at a, a at least a division title, if not a conference title. But so far under Chip Lindsay, they've kind of underperformed a little bit. They, they certainly haven't lived up uh, to, to where our you know roster numbers think that they could get to potentially. And this on paper is a you know team that ranks 70th in our roster strength numbers. They're top 80 on both sides of the football, 78th on offense, 50th on defense and and uh, the offense took a little bit of a hit because they had one of their higher rated uh, players, you know, I think he was the highest rated player actually, uh, decide to transfer a little closer to home, Kalen Geiger, who was one of my favorite small uh, receivers, got a ton of targets, ton of catches, ended up transferring to, to Texas Tech. He's a 90 rated player and they they go from having one of the top duos in uh the Sun Belt at, at receiver, he and Reggie Todd, really one of the maybe top units overall when they had uh, Khalil McLean last year, who was an undrafted free agent, and then Troy uh, Eford, who was a starter who I thought was was back, uh, but but found out our, our uh, we, we've we've got some help. Uh, great Sun Belt newsletter uh, out there. Scott Watkins has a, a Sunbelt newsletter and, and he's given me some notes in the past of, of uh, some things I might have missed in our sheets, but pointed out to me that, that Trey Eford is no longer on the roster there. So uh, their receiving core went from arguably the, the best in the Sunbelt to now maybe a, a little bit of a, a question mark. And they've got a very deep group of running backs and it was a, a surprise to me especially, but probably just about anybody, that Kamani Vidal ended up being the, the 
most you know productive running back there because BJ Smith was back and healthy and and pretty much a full time starter. DK Billingsley had a great 2019 and looked like he was in line for for a big year as a junior, but uh, really kind of fell off. And and then they've got you know a, a pretty deep group with Charles Strong, who's a transfer, and uh, Jamontis Woods. So uh, they're set there. There are some concerns at receiver, and it sounds like now there's a little bit of an unsure situation at, at quarterback. Gunnar Watson's returning starter, showed a lot of promise last year in, in nine starts and 550-plus snaps, but they brought in a transfer from Missouri in Taylor Powell, who at least one uh, preseason magazine I, I was flipping through had Powell as the projected starter there. So uh, that is – not, I mean, I don't know if concerning is the right word, but you know, to to have a having a full time returning quarterback starter lose his job on the one hand is a good thing, right? Because it, it means somebody probably beat him out for for that job. Not every returning starter is great, as we've we've talked about plenty. Experience isn't always the answer. If you bring in a more talented guy, it makes sense. But on the other hand, it, it worries me just a little bit because at least in theory, and, and I'm not in any locker room, I don't know how uh, these teams feel about their quarterback specifically, but when when you've got a returning quarterback starter, I just assume that he's kind of has the trust of the team. And, and that's not every quarterback does, obviously, but when you introduce somebody else and, and kind of say, Hey, go, go beat out our guy. It just creates some scenarios where I think that maybe, you know, locker rooms can get divided over who's the right guy and, and quarterback specifically. It's just a, another, another thing to worry about. So that gives me a little bit of pause, but you know, uh, assuming one of those two guys, and, and right now I think it's probably Watson holds on to it. He is about five points higher rated according to our numbers and a returning starter. So we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, assuming that works itself out and there's plenty of running backs, the offensive line brings back everybody, including uh, two all Sun Belt performers. Uh, Austin Stidham is, is one of the higher graded offensive linemen in the Sun Belt in just about every uh, way you do it. And then defensively, experience-wise, top 20 in returning production. The defensive line was 43rd in our performance rankings last year, but one of the best pass rushing duos. And, and uh, Richard uh, Jaborner from uh, and a transfer from Auburn, and then Will uh, Sholo, and, and I could be totally mispronouncing either of those names. I apologize. But <laughs> one of the best pass rushing interior defensive linemen probably in the country. A 100-rated player is is uh, you know his his pressure total last year according to PFF. Both he and uh, Jaborner had 31 total pressures, tied for the team lead. So you know it, it makes sense that an edge rusher would be there. An interior defensive lineman putting up that uh, amount is, is something to to really pay attention to. He probably is is I would think on some NFL draft radars and has has a good opportunity to to see a, a football future. But you know, those two guys and then Carlton Marshall is arguably the most productive linebacker in college football. Might not be as much on scouts radars maybe as, as Cholo because he's five nine and two hundred and fifteen ish pounds. 
Uh, but a hundred rated player has been a 100 rated player uh, for multiple years now has 39 career production points. The way we total all the, the stats up and player of the week and all conference and all that. I mean, he's, he's maxed out as far as production as a former walk on, you know, he's just somebody that that's been uh, consistent there. So certainly front seven wise, they've got some guys that you can build around in the secondary they unfortunately suffered a, another pretty significant transfer when Terrence Dunlap, who's one of their higher rated uh, defensive backs, transferred out. But, you know, the, the other four starters are returning. They did add a, a couple of players through the transfer portal. They added players uh, really at every level defensively in the transfer portal. So they, they did that sort of same thing where, hey, Go in, beat out our guys. And and if you can do that on the one hand, it's a good thing. On the other, you know, a little worried about the behind the scenes. But as far as the way we total everything up, talent-wise, they're there. They're they're one of the more talented teams in the Sun Belt. Defensively, they are the most talented team, according to our numbers. Have the best linebacker unit in the conference. Have the best back seven in the conference. Have the best uh, front seven. You know, the, the D-line ranks third, the, the secondary on its own ranks eighth, but put those two groups together with that number one linebacker core, and they're solid all the way through. So I think if there's going to be a, a team outside of that top three, it kind of has to be Troy. I mentioned I thought maybe early on Georgia State could potentially be that team, but I, I don't like the schedule as much. They don't have to play Coastal or App State or Louisiana until the second half of the season. So things can, you know, set up pretty well early on. They can build a lot of, you know, momentum, a lot of confidence. Right now, this this was, I almost tweeted this out and then I thought maybe nobody will care. So maybe not. <laughs> but <laughs> we have Troy favored to beat South Carolina. I'll go retweet it. I thought that was, I thought that was really interesting because, you know, we've seen Troy knockoffs, but they beat LSU two years ago, the year before LSU mm-hmm. won the national championship. So it's it's certainly not crazy, but to actually have them favored in that game surprised me. But there's a, a real, maybe even likelihood, maybe not likely, because some of these are toss-ups, but it's, it's, it's very possible that Troy will be bowl eligible. So they've got to play – of course, both Coastal Carolina and App State, but getting both of them in, in the second half of the season is, you know, is preferable, I think. There's plenty of time by then for things to figure out. You can still win a conference championship with multiple losses, tiebreakers and all that. So not saying Troy is, is going to jump up and, and be a 10-win team, roll through with undefeated in, in the conference or one loss or what have you, but there are plenty of, of scenarios. So to answer Parker's question, yeah, I, I think it can be done. And I think it might have to involve an unfortunate injury or, or two striking uh, one of those you know top three teams. But getting them in the second half of the season, building up some confidence, getting to maybe six wins by the time you have to play any of them, then you're kind of you feel like you're on even footing and, and then it might not be a huge upset to, to knock off Coastal Carolina, who you almost beat last year. Might not be a huge upset to beat App State, who's you know been in in reach, I think, in the past. So 
I, I don't have it necessarily fully mapped out yet, but I, I think that there's a path for Troy to, to possibly win. They are a solid number four. They are, they are not in that top three conversation, in, in my opinion right now, certainly not in our numbers. They're 70th, so there's almost a 30-team gap between uh, Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, and Troy. So, I, you know, there is a, a, a firm line between those two, but we've seen some, some stranger things happen. I, I think certain things bounce, you know, Troy's way, some unlucky breaks elsewhere. There's, there's certainly a path for Troy to get to the conference title. Yeah, and the way uh, that Nick just laid it out, Xavier, it, it really seems like there is. And like he said, you know, the the only games that uh, seem to throw a wrench in here for them are, uh, you know, early against Liberty. Uh, we have them, uh, but that's still coin flippish. And then the hardest game is App State and then Louisiana and Coastal Carolina. So, uh, you know, if if something breaks and goes their way, uh, we could definitely see them in, in play here for this conference, right? Mm, yeah, sure. Uh, oh, come on! He just laid no. it out. How, he can how lay it out. Work? Here, here, here. He can lay it all. Well, we he don't. Wants it's to. not expected, but it's in the realm of possibilities, is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, and so is Tennessee winning ten games. Anything oh, in the realm on, of possibility. I said in the realm of possibility. <laughs> Will you listen to yourself? Come on. <laughs> I'm just saying, when you have to play the three teams you just named outside of Liberty, they have to play them three out of four weeks. They don't get many breaks here at the end of that season. You have to play Coastal October 28th on a Thursday. You then have a short week and have to play South Alabama the very next week. And then you get Louisiana, who they lined up for homecoming. Once again, great job. Appalachian State and finish off the year at Georgia State. That's not an easy route to a to a conference title whatsoever from a team that we all would agree isn't nearly as talented as three of the five teams I just named. And what I would agree, I would think by that time in the season, who knows what both South Alabama and Georgia state have looked like throughout the year. Um, you know, Georgia state in both, in both cases, those teams might be fighting, fighting for bowl eligibility. Georgia state, that last game of the year might be the game to get Georgia state into bowl eligibility for all we know. So once again, not an easy task whatsoever to go into Atlanta and win that game end of the year. I, I I understand what he laid out. For me, when I look at the when I look at their schedule, I don't I see too many times that they I don't see enough confidence being able to be built up from get from week to week. Yes, I know we have he has them beating South Carolina. I don't not on the road. I, Liberty not, first not game of the beating year. favored to win. It's one and a half points. It's, it's semantics. It is a point. Semantics. It's a point. Well, that's <laughs> it's it's I think it's significant because it is it is. Uh, it's difficult in this sort of realm of, of what we do because, yeah, we list a team as a favorite and, and you think somebody has to win, somebody has to lose, so we have Troy winning that game. But when we look at, at the number and we have Troy 54% to win that game. So it's, it's I don't know, it, it's easy to, to... Point flip. Right, and it's it's easy to look at things more... Oh, it, it's it has to be a win, and and I I struggle with that because it's it's and that's going to be so, way different when we get there because it's right. either going to be things are breaking right for South Carolina and they look like they're going to roll over Troy, or things have gone terribly wrong with Luke Doty in South Carolina and Troy has a chance to take this game. I think that's we'll know way more by the time we get there because that game isn't until October, right? And I would say <laughs> Troy has a a real shot to win. 
but I'm not saying Troy will win. <laughs> right. Fair. Once again, I still go back to my original point. The confidence that they will build throughout the year for me, it does not it is it's it's there's too many spots in their schedule where I see, okay, they'll win this game, they'll win these two games in a row, then they might lose. They will they'll win these two games, then they'll have this. And, and for me, I I think, you know, I, I just I'm not confident in Troy to get it done week in and week out. You know, what, what you know, yet yes, last year they were on the cusp of, you know, instead of being five and seven, being seven and five, or even better. But for me, when I look at the when I look at their schedule, I, I don't see them beating Liberty. The game against Southern Miss is going to be really difficult, especially on the road. Going to South Carolina, no matter how bad South Carolina is, going to Williams Bryce is just not fun, regardless. Hearing that Gamecock 35,000 times being blasted over those sounds is just not an easy atmosphere to go play in, regardless of how bad South Carolina is. Then you get Georgia Southern and Texas State, fine. Then you have to go to Coastal Carolina on a Thursday night. Once again, you know, and, and from Coastal Carolina's perspective, looking at their schedule really quickly, they're not going to overlook that matchup if you guys are right at this point because they won't, they play Georgia Southern the next game. Uh, they've had this game touted as a blackout for Coastal Carolina. They're going to be really up for this one. Um, you know, I just don't see where, you know, and then you have Louisiana for homecoming. I just don't see where they're able to find their footing with the schedule that's put in place and put in front of them, unless they are able to win some, you know, unless they're able to pick up some upsets here, like beating South Carolina on the road, like beating a coastal Carolina on the road. Then I absolutely agree with you guys. They absolutely can win the title at that point, but that's a lot of ifs. And I, I'm not in the game of ifs. That's just, just too many for me for them to have to essentially beat. This is, this is what Nick is saying. Nick, remember, said Georgia State, before he did a little bit more deep diving, had Georgia State as a possible sneaky winner of the East. That means they would have to be four out of five possible Sun Belt Conference title attendees in one month or in a month and some change. I ain't got it. I ain't got that kind of, no. Yeah, you're you're like uh, Michael Clark Duncan from the Slam and Salmon. If ifs and buts was candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Tell them that, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm I understand what you're saying, but I mean, look, he got double dog dared to lay out the scenario. That's the, fair. The, the scenario <laughs> was laid out. So, yeah. um, if things break the right way, we could see it, but it would take a lot. So, yeah. uh, and that's why there's a 30 team gap between them and the you know. Uh, Coastal Carolina. So not that surprising, but let's go to the last team up on the docket here. It's ULM. And uh, I mean, uh, I, this note that you wrote here, Nick is great. ULM wasn't just winless in 2020, finishing 0 and 10 and 0 and 7 in the conference. They never led in any game. They allowed 31 plus points to every opponent and only once lost by single digits. So uh, if we're setting the bar of patheticness, uh, I think it might start with ULM. And we've got them ranked 125. Their DK total is one and a half. We got them at two and 10, uh, but favored to win one. Talent edges in two. And it looks like it's probably going to be another long year for ULM, Nick. Yeah, I, I, I think it will be. Um, it's, it's really strange. I was working on our uh, stat projections, which will be up in the month of July, I, I promise, <laughs> uh, trying to, to get them all uh, finished for each conference as, as we talk to them for sure. But uh, we're a little more than halfway done. But I, I, I went through and we make statistical projections for, for 
every team and then for uh, offensive players, the quarterback, top two running backs, top two receivers, tight end for CFF purposes. They're useful for DFS and, and things like that as well. But I think the the team projections, one, it's where our stats only model comes from. And it was really, really good last year against the spread and, and very helpful and, and can help uh, kind of uh, maybe identify a, a surprise team. Potentially it's the model that had, Coastal Carolina projected to beat Kansas when they were actually, believe it or not, remember last, uh, in, in that opener last year, were 10-point or 14-point underdogs, had Louisiana uh, keeping it really close with uh, Iowa State. So it's, it's you know, it was helpful, at least in, in some uh, particular spots. But I tweeted this out that I think maybe we just ignore the ULM projections in the in the stats only <laughs> model at least for a little while because the way i do it it's a weighted average using team history head coach history and play caller has history and so there's there's a little bit of of watering down because ulm was so bad last year i mean this this was a team that as you mentioned didn't lead in a game ranked last in just about or, or very close to last in just about every team performance category. We've got 128th overall, 126th rushing offense, 127th offense as a whole, 127th defense, 127th rushing defense. Anyway, so so it's gonna it's gonna kind of dull things down a little bit, but I, I do put in the head coach's history, no matter where they were, whether or not they were a graduate assistant last year, as Terry Bowden was, uh, at Clemson. So we put in Clemson's last two years under under Terry Bowden when they were fourth in team performance in both of those last two years where they were, uh, you know, top 11 on offense both years, top 10 on defense both years. Yeah, he was a GA. I could just sort of maybe ignore it, but uh, I want to be consistent with all 130 teams. So, you know, keep it in there. Then they hired Rich Rodriguez as their offensive coordinator, who, uh, as offenses go, very, very solid. I mean, they were only 70th in team performance at Ole Miss, but rushing-wise, very explosive rushing offense, put up, you know, big, big numbers on the ground. That's going to maybe skew things a little bit. Arizona had some real potent offenses at times, especially on the ground the last couple of years. And 2017 ranked 11th in offensive team performance. So much, much higher than we certainly saw at ULM last year and, and really have seen it at ULM in a, in a little while. They were uh, 31st on offensive team performance in 2017, 41st in 2019. But I mean, we're, we're talking some some big-time numbers getting factored into the project, projections there. So looking at, at sort of what it spits out at the end, and we expect ULM to score 11 more points per game. And, you know, they, they only scored 16 last year and, and were one of the worst offenses in college football. So maybe that's not out of the complete realm of possibility, but it would be a, a huge, huge jump and maybe not, really feasible because, you know, we talk about how everybody's bringing everything back, you know, or team or uh, 
returning production so high? Well, ULM ranks 91st overall in returning production, and they rank 77th on offense, 92nd on defense. So I'm not sure that the offense is really going to be able to make that big of a jump. And then defensively, we're getting a, a, the youngest coordinator in FBS, but uh, pulls in in that five-year window we look at. The last two years, he was at Boise State, where he was a linebackers coach. Prior to that, he was at Clemson. So uh, very, very different staff makeup this this uh, first year at, at ULM. So I think our stats model, long story short, uh, we're, we're probably a little too high on ULM in, in the stats model. But, you know, there, there's a long way to go. A lot of, lot of room for improvement. Uh, offensively, roster strength, they rank 125th. That includes some Power 5 transfers. Rhett Rodriguez, Rich Rod's uh, son is probably going to be the, the starter. Seemed to kind of control that. Uh, took that job in, in the spring over an incumbent starter, Colby Suits, and Jeremy Hunt, who's played a, a significant amount of snaps as well. They've also got a JUCO transfer that I'm, I'm hearing some whispers might uh, be an interesting add. Jaya Wright, who uh, was a Northern Illinois recruit originally, went to JUCO, kind of a little bit more athletic than uh, Rhett Rodriguez, so might be able to you know fit the, the style of offense that Rich Rodriguez would prefer to run a little bit better because Rhett's not – super athletic, but probably will, you know, at, at least be able to manage that offense. But they're counting on some Juco guys at running back. They're uh, bringing in transfers at receiver. I, I'm counting, you know, three transfers in, in our notes that have a chance to, if not start, play significant snaps. They are only bringing back two full-time starters on the offensive line. They went really heavy in the transfer portal in the last month to try to solidify that unit. I've got some, some major concerns about their offensive line. They're ranked 117th in our performance rankings, but you know, as far as our talent numbers go, they're 126. They're dead last in the Sun Belt in offensive line in our rankings, in the skill positions, in the wide receiver and tight ends, and in the running back. They're ninth at, at quarterback. So uh, there's, there's, there's significant reason to be concerned. And even though Rich Rod ranks eighth in our offensive coordinator rankings, uh, you know, I, I don't know that this is an offense that's really built right now, personnel wise, to make a big jump, to make a, you know, over a touchdown per game jump, double digit points added per game jump. Defensively, the the everything was was of course bad last year, but I do have a little bit more optimism. Ty Shelby is an all-conference caliber uh, defensive end, guy who's been really productive in his career there. At uh, linebacker, Traven Webster, the same, was a was a honorable mention all-Sun Belt player last year, put up 11 production points. They brought in a really, really surprising uh, transfer in Jacquez Williams at linebacker, who was a starter at Wake Forest, has played 46 games, uh, at a power five level, including 18 career starts. He's the highest rated defensive player on the roster now after transferring into ULM. They got Jordan Riley, uh, a cornerback transfer from Akron, a couple of transfers from Akron where Terry Bowden uh, was prior. Not yeah, Terry Bowden was there prior. And, you know, they're, they're not 
flashy names maybe on paper, but uh, if Jordan Riley can come in, solidify a cornerback spot, if uh, Jeremiah Knight, who played a little receiver, a little running back, can do some interesting things uh, for you on offense, you know, maybe those guys help uh, just, just raise the floor a little bit at ULM. So I don't have very high hopes, me personally. Our stats-only model is going to give them a bit of a boost. But in our first round of projections, we had ULM as an underdog in every game, and that includes against FCS Jackson State. So they've, they've improved a little bit through the transfer portal. As you mentioned, we now have them favored in that game. We have talent edges in two. Stats-only model has them favored in two. Our totaled-up win projection on average, we expect about two-and-a-quarter wins that still seems pretty high because they play Kentucky, they play Liberty, they play LSU. Jackson State might be, with what Deion Sanders has done, bringing in transfers, the most talented FCS team that you could schedule, plus you know a, a, a not very difficult on paper schedule last year. It did not <laughs> go well at all. So I, I think that this is going to be a, a pretty long rebuild. I think Rich Rod, you know, usually does inject new life into an offense relatively quickly. I just don't know how the personnel quite fits. This isn't Ole Miss, and it's it's not you know Arizona by the end of his tenure there either. So it's uh, it, it, they're they're facing a real uphill battle. ULM is one of the toughest jobs in college football. We haven't spent a lot of time talking facilities or anything on this podcast, but. Uh, I know that, you know, Arkansas State, Texas State, South Alabama are, are really investing in facilities and have some great things. ULM yep. is at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. So a, a lot of teams are really improving their programs in the Sun Belt, and ULM is just it's, – it's so, so difficult. There are things to like with the coaching staff, the background, the places they've been, the success they've had. They've done it before. So maybe they can rebuild this program, but but getting them back up to competitive week in and week out in 2021 seems like a real, real long shot. I think they win a game. Maybe if everything clicks, two is possible. But I, I would not advise anyone to bet over one and a half because this team was so, so bad last year, even with a new coaching staff and, and more talent uh, on, on the roster. It's, it's going to be really, really, really difficult to get two wins. Wouldn't shock me if, if you know, you beat an FCS opponent like you're supposed to, at least on paper, and then you, you get somebody on a bad day and pull off an upset. They almost beat Georgia Southern last year. It was their one, one score game. But it's just, man, the, the, the way things look right now on paper, it's, it's, uh, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it doesn't look great, Xavier. I mean, uh, ULM. Uh, it's 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 it seems like a bad note to end on too, because the Sun Belt is so much better than uh, you know it has been in past years. But ULM is uh, is rough. Yeah, um, and their schedule doesn't really help them either. You know, Nick hit it right on the head. They 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 play the one the one FCS school that you probably don't want to play right now. Uh, not just from a talent perspective in Jackson State, but from a publicity standpoint, I mean, you know, they get them at home, which will add eyes, um, you know, 
but outside of that, I, I don't, I just don't see where I can, where you find a win. I know it's Jackson <laughs> state is a tough draw too, you know, yeah, as an FBS I'm, opponent. I'm looking at the schedule and I'm just like, where, where, uh, maybe they catch South Alabama slipping at home for homecoming. Maybe they put it all, maybe all the pieces come together for one night. The guys don't want to have to go party after the game. But we just kind of talked a little glowingly about South Alabama and Texas State as far as improving from preseason expectations. You just don't have that with ULM. I think Nick is right. They, they've they got a good staff in here that can improve them hopefully quicker than, than we expect. But it hopefully, just yeah. – I, I don't see where the win comes either. It looks bad. Yeah, I think that has to be it. And that's our second best winning percentage, 32%. We have – South Alabama as a about an eight point favorite. But that's not yeah. even that's way less than a coin flip, though. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah, you, you get them at home. You said it's homecoming. I didn't have that note. Yeah, you know, if they don't if they don't beat Jackson State in South Alabama, they ain't gonna win. Then who yeah, I mean who's who's where they're Man, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when when Nick is struggling to find a uh, a good word to put in about a team, you know, it's pretty bad because he, he is pretty much silver lining on a lot of these teams and yep. they just don't have it. No, not at all. I, it's going to be a rough year for Louisiana. I, I will say this. They have done better in the recruiting trail than maybe their win loss record indicates. Uh, they finished 99th nationally this past year. They finished fifth in the Sun Belt, which is actually really impressive for a team that did only have one win last year. Um, and, 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 you know, so so things are looking up in some regards, you know, and, and this class was a deep one, a big one. They brought in 29 kids, uh, 19 from high school, 10 transfers. Uh, so I will say, even though things are looking bleak, maybe things are looking better uh, in the future as far as the recruiting class is concerned. There's no information on them going into next year as of right now, but at least the 2021 class was a little was far better than a team that you would expect for a team that only had one win last year. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our look at the Sun Belt. And, fun belt. Uh, yeah, the fun belt. Absolutely. I mean, this this conference is a lot of fun to watch. So uh, what do we have, Nick? No, I was just playing around. I was oh, OK. My bad. I was doing that hashtag hand thing. Oh, yeah, hashtag. Like, I was like, like yeah, uh, what the what the kids do. We can cut all this out. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I am old compared to you, so I don't uh, – I was like, what is that? Uh, are we doing gang signs on the show now? What's happening? So hold on. Let me mark it. Uh, let's see. No, leave that hashtag in there. <laughs> that might be the most Twitter-worthy thing Nick has done as far as uh, I can I can gift that and turn that to a <laughs> and just have Nick just – yeah. A hashtag, yeah. right, right. Wisdom. Please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, I didn't even know that was a possibility. I won't and send now, him the video. Now I'm going to turn my video yeah, off. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I, won't, I, won't, I won't send him the video. It's. Fine. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll just pick back up and, and end up here. Who? What? Uh, what conference are we going to next? Uh, Mountain West. Mountain West. Okay. Oh, the MWC. And then I got to move, so we're off all next week. Uh, you guys, let me know what the following week looks like. But my schedule right. should be open Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever you guys. Gotcha. Want. Okay, I'll I'll end it here and, and just say we're heading towards the Mountain West. So, literally. Yeah. All right. Well, as Nick moves towards the Mountain West Conference uh, next week, we will be uh, the the following week after that, we will be doing the Mountain West Conference for our next show. So please tune in for that one as well. And you know, Nick puts out tweets 
at CFB Winning Edge about getting questions for these teams too. So uh, all kinds of stuff. You can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me at CFB Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish uh, T R I C H E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. <laughs>